Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I, I think we're a playoff team. I think we should be competing for a playoff spot. And you see every year that once you get into the playoffs, somebody goes on a run that's not supposed to. Why not us? But you, what we found last year is you can't go on that run if you're not there. And so uh, our, our goal is to be competitive every night. And I think if we are, we'll push for that playoff spot when we can get in and anything can happen. But we're going to find growth by building a foundation that, that we can rely and layer on year in, year out. This isn't something that uh, we don't have expectations to be competitive and successful with. That was Doug Armstrong on the 101 Sports Show, which you can see on YouTube right now, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. If you want to go there to watch that, if you want to go there to watch us, you can do all of that over on our YouTube page. Army has expectations for the upcoming season. Alex, do we have expectations for the upcoming season? I think that depends upon who you ask. If you ask Alex Ferrario, this team's playoff bound, baby. They got the offense. They got the size. They got bounce back candidates on the blue line. They got Benner in net. They got Craig Berube as the head coach. What more could you ask for? If you ask our guy Dom, though, over at the Athletic, whoo, buddy, this team is going to stink. Well, first of all, if you're asking Dom for hockey advice, you should reevaluate your expectations. He pretty much nailed the Blues last year. However, this upcoming season, he has them projected for 80 points. He says they have a 1 in 12 chance of making the postseason, an 8% shot of making the playoffs this year. And Alex, in their power rankings over at The Athletic, they have the Blues as the 26th best team in the NHL. In other words, bottom five. Bottom five in the league is roughly where they see them. Alex, what are we missing that they are seeing over the at The Athletic that makes them so pessimistic and you so optimistic. I mean, it's the same thing we've talked about all season. It's the defense. They look at the defense and say, these guys stink and the blues are going to stink. Meanwhile, I look at it and say, last year was an awful year for your top four. And those guys should improve. And if they don't improve, then Dom nailed it once again. It's all riding on those four guys. And if they improve to the way that I believe that they should be viewed in terms of guys who are top four defensemen, then your team is not an 80 point team. I'm sorry. It's not. I I believe 92, 94 is the sweet spot for me. And maybe that's too optimistic. Fine. Put it at 88 or 90, but this team is not an 80 point team. Last year, they were an 84 point team and that was an awful season. And I believe you've got more offense on this team. I believe the defense is going to improve compared to what they were last year. 
and your goaltending now has competition more so than what it was last year. So, yeah, I look at this. Oh, special teams. I also view special teams as being a positive for this team now in terms of personnel. So is there an area that you're you think has a chance to be worse than it was last defense year? Th- to be worse than it was last? Year. Yeah, defense. I, I I realistically do not know what this defense is going to be. It's hard for me to imagine that Pareko, Falk, Krug and Letty are all going to be bad, if not worse than what they were last year. And it's hard for me to, or, and I'm uncertain of what Scott Perunovic is. That's the part that could go both ways. And that is the part that is going to dictate this team between being an 80 point team or a 90 point team. I, I would agree with that. I, I think the defense is the one that is the major concern, of course, for everyone. And, and I am the one that's not as optimistic on the defense. I think the defense is what it is. And I think it, you saw it for the first time last year. Because two years ago, the numbers, we've, we've talked about this, Dom's numbers and his analytics, they, they thought that the Blues were not a good team two years ago. And the defense kind of outplayed expectations, but there were a lot of like red flashing lights going off. But the Blues had 920 goal scores that could suppress what you saw from the defense. Pull out some of the Jenga pieces. What happens? They take a massive step back and the defense played the same. And now we're going into the same year. And I think they've got better offense. I would agree with that. I do think special teams will be a little bit better. But defensively, I'm not buying in on any sort of hope that this top four is going to be much improved. I think what they are is what you saw last year, and that's a bad defensive group that's going to struggle to uh, have goal prevention, and you're going to have to outscore your problems, and that's a lot lot to ask from the forward group. So this is what The Athletic wrote about it. I think this is from Tom, if I had to guess, on well, what depends. the Blues are going to be in 2023. Is that as tricky as it may have been to maneuver around some of the self-inflicted contract-related roadblocks, oh, yeah, that's a dumb. the Blues did Next not do one. themselves many favors this past offseason. St. Louis doesn't look much better on paper than where it left off in 2022-23. Its current trajectory ahead is less than inspiring. While the pressure is on the players to rebound from last year's disappointment, attention has to be on management as well. The Blues have to be honest about where they are in the season as it gets underway and try to figure out where to go from here in order to avoid another stagnant, wasted season. Again, that came from Dom over at The Athletic. I'm not nearly as pessimistic on the Blues as Dom appears to be, or clearly is, frankly. We don't even have to beat around the bush. He's he's very pessimistic about your Blues. I do, however, I'm like, I'm open to the idea that we're viewing it wrong. Because last year, I got it so wrong on the Blues. We all did about this team that it's hard for me to just completely write this stuff off again. Because last year, I remember we had a segment right around this time of the year where these same pieces were being written and they were all taking the under on the points. They were all talking about how pessimistic they were about the team. And we were like, this is ridiculous. Like, how could anybody see this team as anything less than a 90 point team? It doesn't make any sense. They've got Ryan O'Reilly. They've got all these players like, yeah, they've got some guys that are on the last year of their deals, but that's no biggie. They'll all try to come in and have a big year so that way they can reevaluate or reestablish their production to hit the market and make big money this offseason, right? And we know how it went. We don't have to rehash everything that went awry for the Blues last season. So as I'm going into this season, they better get this right, dude. Because if they don't, and we're all on the same page, it really comes down to the defense. Even if you have questions about the offense, the defense is what both short and long term, you have to make amends from what happened a year ago. I don't know that you have any outs. Like, if this goes wrong for you again, if Tory Krug doesn't get better, if he continues to be hurt, if Justin Falk is a negative defender again, 
if Colton Pareko is nothing more than average defensively and Nick Letty is just kind of who Nick Letty's been, dude, that is $30 million tied up into your blue line for four dudes that all have no trade clauses and you have no way out of this thing. Like, could you go out there this offseason and spend big time money on another defenseman to put into that group? You could technically do that, but then you're going to have to build around a defensive core and not have the offense that we're talking about right now as being the thing that props this team up. So if they are wrong, it is not only an issue for this season. It is an issue for the entirety of this retool because now it becomes incredibly difficult for you to start building this thing on the fly because you're trying to piece this defensive core together with toothpicks and bubblegum. And I don't know that you can do that over the long haul. Yeah, I mean, this is why Doug Armstrong put that three-year time frame last year on this retool. And it's no coincidence that in three years from when he said it until the checkpoint, both Nick Letty and Tory Krug's contracts become modified, no trades, Justin Falk as well. So in three years, if Doug views this team in the retool era, you're talking about defense that underperforms, a team that probably is still drafting in the top 10, and a team that looks at this and says 25-26 season is when we can move these contracts out and hopefully have developed. I mean, to be fair, Army's not saying any of those things because if we're talking about the same thing in three years, everybody's going to be fired. And, and I'm not predicting that. I want to make this very clear. I'm not saying they should or like will be in that situation, but if you have three straight years of top 10 picks... Coaches and general managers don't survive something like that. Some places, I, especially, well, I don't a know. Coach here. is probably gone. I, uh, it'd be hard to imagine Doug Armstrong because Doug Armstrong is the one constructing it all. I Which think, is why I think he's going to yeah. be the one that like, and again, I want to make this very clear. I'm not predicting this. I don't think this is going to happen. I think they're going to be better than what we're talking about here. I, I continue to be a little more optimistic than I think what consensus is nationally on the St. Louis blues. I think they're a 90 point team. Like you said, Alex, but it, if this goes awry and things go poorly again this year, and then it happens again next year. And then again, the year after that, like, yeah, everybody's getting fired, dude. I, I don't know that there's a winning organization in the NHL where people survive that kind of a thing. Can you think of one where it took three or four years of top 10 picks consecutively and everybody just continued to do their jobs? Iserman would be the one I would say, but like, but they he came this in was knowing re- it rebuild. was a rebuild. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that would have that. And I think you're right because I think it would be one thing if it was like, there doesn't feel like there's pressure to make the playoffs this year. It feels like there's pressure to make the playoffs this year. I think Every, Doug Armstrong's placing that upon himself. Yeah, and he fact. said that he said that on the 101 Sports Show on our YouTube page, if you want to go check that out. He basically said our expectation is to make the playoffs this year. So he's putting it there. We've heard Jamie say that there is uh, – he talked this about with me on the fast lane where, hey, ownership does not want a repeat of what happened last year. There's pressure to win this year, let alone if you can't win this year and we're talking three years. Yeah, I think you're right. I think – there would be some house cleaning that would have to be done. And I think you're right. I'm not I'm not predicting that to happen. I'm a little lower. I'm about an 85-point team. But that's in the hunt for the playoffs, where one or two bounces go your way. You go from 85 to 90 points, you're in the playoffs. I mean, the team you're asking that has done this is the team that Doug Armstrong comped his team to. It's the LA Kings. Rob Blake was hired in 2017 and has been there since they've been drafting first overall and third overall and fifth overall. They hired their head coach, Todd McClellan, in 2019. He was there when they were seventh in the Pacific, sixth in the Pacific, and then when they just missed the playoffs, then when they got into the playoffs, and now where they're at now that that was also a legit rebuild though 
It I, was, I would say that that's it the was on the tail end of it, but Doug has made it clear it's a retool, and that's the part that we're going to have to wait to find out. And I'm with you. Like, you've put yourself in a bad situation, but uh, it seems like they gave, or at least he gave himself that out that says, like, look, we're with this defense one more year, and if it's not there, we're going to have to make drastic changes. But I don't what, know what that looks like. Yeah, that's that's my issue. Okay. But we've <laughs> seen, I mean, we've seen Doug pull off the impossible before. Not like this, dude. Not like this. Because he didn't have these no trade clauses to manage previously. That's what is different this time around. Previously, yes, he he is a magician when it comes to getting contracts off of the books. When there are outs. There is not the same amount of outs. I mean, we saw this past offseason. In a typical year, what you'd expect was Tory Krug to be moved. And he tried. He tried to get out of this thing by saying, you know what, we'll go out there and maybe this is another contract that's not going to age particularly well, but we're going to go get a defenseman from Philadelphia, bring him here. He's got the reach. He's got the size that we're looking for. It makes more sense to pair him with Colton Pareko. We're going to make this thing work. We're going to move Tory Krug up to Philadelphia. Well, it didn't work because of the no trade clause. And you said earlier today, Alex, Tory Krug was just talking to the media about how he wants to be here in St. Louis. Yeah. Maybe that changes in the offseason and he decides, you know what, I just want to go somewhere else. Maybe possible. Maybe uh, Nick Letty decides, hey, I want to go somewhere else because we're not winning here. The problem is if things go poorly this season, other teams aren't going to want those guys that we're talking about. Because right now, other teams can convince themselves what we are saying here in St. Louis, which is this. It was a one-off. They'll be fine moving forward. If it continues to go in that direction, though, those teams can no longer just write off what we saw a year ago. They will then have to say this is becoming a trend. That guy is not worth it for us. We'll just go pay four million bucks for somebody other than Nick Letty on the open market. We'll go pay six and a half million dollars for somebody other than Falk or Krug on the open market. It does get a lot more difficult if this thing goes awry this year. All that being said, I'm with you, Alex. I would bet the over on their point total this season in Vegas, which is currently set at 86 and a half. I believe this team will be a 90 point team in 2023, but I'm open to what the alternative stance is on this thing because last year I got it so incredibly wrong. And these numbers seemed to hit it a little bit more on point than what we did here locally. With Alex and Tebow and I'm BK, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Ryan Helsley talking to the Cardinals reliever coming up at 1130. But next... Boys, I got something to get off my chest because I think Mizzou got screwed yesterday with what we saw. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tater Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So Alex, yesterday I took the family out to the zoo. It was a beautiful day. Baby Luca's final day being at home. Today was his first day out of daycare. So we decided, you know what? Let's take a nice stroll through the free zoo this time of the year. It is lovely. We got to see uh, the monkeys. We got to see the giraffes. And as I am watching, walking over to see some of the birdies, I get a text from one of my buddies who says, what the hell, BK? I thought we were going to see Mizzou playing LSU under the lights in Columbia. I don't understand what happened here. And Alex, I had the exact same question. So alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. It was announced yesterday that Missouri will be playing LSU, a game that is probably the largest, the biggest, the most significant Mizzou game in a decade, so long as Mizzou wins this weekend in Vanderbilt. Please, God, do not lose this game. Vandy, Vandy, (laughs) Vandy. They will be playing against one another. 
at 11 o'clock. Because Ooh. of course. Prime because time. of freaking course they will. This is the way that the SEC operates. The way that this goes, Alex, for people that don't know, the SEC has these broadcast partners select their games. It's almost like a, a draft every week where two weeks from now they get to select who they want. First, it's CBS. They get the first overall pick for this upcoming week. They say, well, we want Bama versus AM. I don't blame them. That makes all the sense in the world as to why they would choose that over Mizzou versus LSU. I get it. But then the next pick is ESPN. And their choices were either for the six o'clock game, which is their prime time selection, Kentucky versus Georgia. Kentucky's no good. Or Mizzou versus LSU. And Alex, they chose Kentucky versus freaking Georgia. I don't blame them. I mean, 4-0 versus 4-0. Kentucky's no good, man. Undefeated versus undefeated. Neither of those teams is interesting. I mean, undefeated versus undefeated. My Tigers got screwed. Kentucky's going to lose this weekend against Florida. And Florida's no good either, by the way. Well, that means one undefeated team. Yeah. And Georgia's no number losses. one. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. I agree. Can I you guys explain too. this one to me? Well, Two top 25 teams going up against each other. Mizzou potentially going to win the SEC East this year for the first time in a decade. And they get screwed by ESPN, the networks, and that national elitist BS coming whoa, from the East whoa. Coast. Nice. Calm down over there. It to me, please. I don't even well, know if I, I want to touch that. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll be the first to touch it. Uh, I, uh, I say it's because they that. know. <laughs> I I I think it's because they know Mizzou's going to get throttled Whoa. by LSU, destroyed. So they say, all right, well, if we're going to watch a blowout, let's at least have the number one team in the country in Georgia kicking Kentucky's ass. It's so, going to be like a seven-point line. Who's LSU play this week? Uh, they don't play somebody uh, bad. They're going to oh, lose no, this week. Mind. They're going to be 3-2. and two. A 3-2 and two versus a 5-0 and oh team. Yeah. LSU's going to beat the brakes off of Ole Miss. Here's the part that I don't get, like, and maybe this is just the draft order you're talking about. How the hell does Florida versus Vanderbilt get a 3 o'clock start? Well, those are all, like, it's SEC SEC Network, Network, so it's, like, one of the last. That's, like, one of the worst selections. BK's just upset because they were the last pick in the draft. Like, BK was in high school. I mean, you want the explanation. People aren't high on Mizzou for some reason still. I just. People, I mean, Georgia's a, a, a money grabber. So was LSU, though. That's the thing that I, I disagree with is, like, it basically became a Mizzou versus a Kentucky thing. Like, would you rather have Mizzou on your broadcast or Kentucky on your broadcast? And they chose Kentucky, and I disagree with that. I think that's flatly wrong. I think Missouri's a better football team this year than the Kentucky Wildcats. And I can't wait for this clip to be played for me about four weeks from now when Missouri ends up, of course, losing to Kentucky because that's what yeah. they do, and they end up losing and, lo- and drop out of the top and I'll, 25. I'll add the sound effect that I'm hearing in my head right now. It's the world's smallest violin playing right now. I was just hearing T-Bone saying I'll be the first to touch it. (laughs) Honestly, it's not a huge deal, but I hate the fact that they weren't allowed to have that night game. Because I think it could have been an awesome environment. You guys remember how cool it was last year with Mizzou versus Georgia. The environment played into why Missouri was in that game. 11 a.m. kicks just hit a little different. A little less time to get out there and get your drinking going prior to. Not quite the same vibes day of. That Friday night hangover isn't quite over by the time that you get to the 11 a.m. kickoff. You're just adding a hurdle into this. What are you talking about? 11 a.m. kickoff? You can get the drinking going early. You can, but, buddy, it is a little tough. Some Bloody Marys and some screwdrivers. Especially if you're really hungover on Friday. (laughs) Somebody that had plenty of experience at Mizzou uh, day games after a uh, long night out in a Friday night situation. Uh, Those fraternity tailgates don't quite start the same time around. This is why I go to bed early so you can wake up early and start your drinking early. Bloody Marys and screwdrivers at 5 a.m. In other college football news, 
the rankings came out yesterday. By the way, my my Tigers, our Tigers, Alex. Uh, I'm not sure that you could be claiming them as your Tigers, though, if you took that side of things. They are ranked now. They are coming in at number 23 in this week's uh, this week's poll in the AP side of things. Alex, the top five teams right now are Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Ohio State, and Florida State. Those are your top five. Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Ohio State, Florida State. If you had to take a team outside of the top five currently that you think can win the college football playoff this year, who would you go with? One of Penn State or Washington. I think either of those teams could be in that position. Um, I, I said yesterday, I just, I don't know, I'm not bought in on Oregon even after what they did against Colorado and USC still doesn't excite me. Uh, It's Penn state or Washington. And I would lean more towards Washington for the way that they've played. And I guess their schedule, but I think by the end of the season, when you look at some of the teams that Penn state could take down, we talked yesterday about them beating Ohio state. Uh, Penn state would probably be the team I'd lean towards. Yeah. I I like both of those teams go a little different. I do like Oregon. I I would hammer some money on Oregon just to get them as a college football playoff team because they can run the football. They've got Bo Nix who looks great and then their defense looks awesome as well i i think they're a team that's going to be a threat for the college football playoffs. somebody explain to me how washington is not ranked in the top five so somebody it. do it please tell me why they are not currently a top five team in college football All they've done this year is michael Penix jr has thrown for at least 300 yards in every single game in which they have played they have scored 56 43 41 and 59 points so far in their four games this year they're going to beat the breaks off of arizona this week then they're going to take on oregon probably beat the hell out of them as well I think Washington's the best team in the country right now. That, that to me, would be the team that I would be betting on currently. And you can get them, by the way, over on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now if you want to place a bet down at 18-1 to 1 to win the college football playoff. Dude, that's the team that I'm backing right now. It's crazy they're not in the top five. I, I think it's nuts that they're not number one. To be all the way down at number seven and to have that kind of odds, whoo, buddy. That would be the one that I would be backing. That's my horse in this race. Coming up in 15 minutes, questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get your questions in. But coming up next, we've got some questions for Ryan Helsley, the Cardinals reliever, as he joins us on behalf of the all-win campaign coming up next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're happy to be joined via the 101 ESPN hotline by Ryan Helsley's Cardinals reliever here in St. Louis. Ryan, we appreciate the time, man. I know you're joining us on behalf of the All Win campaign. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So I know you've been on a lot this season uh, with foul territory. What's that experience been like for you, doing a little bit more of the media side throughout this season? Yeah, it's been different. You know, I'm not much of like a camera person or a media guy in the first place, but, you know, I'm trying to get more comfortable with stuff that I'm uncomfortable with, you know, just trying to get better at it. And it kind of comes with the nature, you know, being 
professional baseball player. So just trying to, you know, get out there and, you know, get more experience and, you know, get better at it. So that's got to be a wild card. How different is that, Ryan? So two scenarios. One, you're after a game waiting for the media scrum to show up at your locker and ask you a question. Or two, you're getting on a phone call or a uh, video call with foul territory and you don't know the questions are coming. Which one's more of a wild card for you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Probably foul territory just because it's Three guys who've played, so you don't really know what's gonna, you know, what's gonna get asked or <laughs> what direction they're gonna come from. So you're ready for, you know, everything and anything. All right, Ryan, <laughs> let's let's go down a different path a little bit here. So I, I know you're from Oklahoma. You played football in high school. Oklahoma's in the middle of their season. Were Were you an Oklahoma football fan growing up? So. I was a little bit, and you know, I get asked all the time. But I'm actually an Ohio State fan, and oh, I really, really don't know. Yeah, I really don't know how I, <laughs> I, you know, made the switch to Ohio State. I think it was, I don't remember the year, but I remember watching them when they beat Miami on that controversial last call in like '03 or '02 or whenever that yeah. was. And uh, I think I saw them win, and I was like, oh, they're the best team, so that's that's my favorite team, and it just kind of stuck ever since. I like that. You, you watch the best team, and you say, yep, they're my new team now. That's how I go about it, especially <laughs> with football. So fantasy football question then, Ryan, because I know you, you play in it with Adam Wainwright, uh, and, of course, you're an Ohio State fan. Do you stack your fantasy football teams with all former Ohio State Buckeyes? Because I got a buddy who does that, and we make fun of him every time we do fantasy football drafts. No, if I did that, I, I wouldn't be very good because there's not any good running backs in the league right now. Um, <laughs> Tough year a few for years, your boy, J.K. Dobbins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I I was a huge fan of him coming out of Ohio State. He's obviously just had a really tough go at it with injuries and stuff. But, uh, you know, there for a couple years, Zeke was at the top of the league, and, you know, I always would try to get him. But now it's looking more like just receivers coming out of there, so I might have to make the switch to, you know, locking those guys down. How often do you win your fantasy football leagues, Ryan? Are you good at them? I'm solid. I've won one of my leagues once. I've been playing for about four years now, five years maybe. Um, it, it's hard, man. There's a lot of luck that goes into it. You know, you got to, you know, make some good trades and maybe fleece some guys here and there. And uh, Wayne, Wayne is the best at that. He likes sending out just the absolute worst trades and hoping somebody <laughs> hits a step. Well, we actually have one of the worst commissioners in oh, fantasy football, here, Ryan, David. so I need your advice on this. Let's say a commissioner, his name's Brandon Kylie, and he's talking to you yeah, right now. Name names. Let's say that, that he decides to do a super flex league where you got two quarterbacks and he offers it for 14 people in the league. You probably want to back out of that league, right? <laughs> that, that'd be a tough league to compete in right there. Yeah, you'd be great at it, though, Ryan. I would have no doubt about it. You'd read up on the rules. You'd be like, all right, I got to take my quarterback early in this one. We'll make this thing work. Unfortunately, I work with a bunch of schmucks that uh, that don't seem to know how to make these leagues work. He's not uh, wrong. Ryan, I did want to ask you, you're an Ohio State fan. You guys just had a massive win last weekend against Notre Dame. And then Ryan Day comes out afterwards. I don't know if you saw his postgame interviews. He was hot about what Lou Holtz had to say about his team last week, saying, hey, we got called soft and we wanted to respond to that. What would you think of your coach, what he was saying postgame? Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't see what Lou Holtz said, but I, I, like the, I like the fire that he has. You know, I'm a big fan of Ryan Day, and ever since he's taken over there at Ohio State, I feel like he's done a great job. And um, I got to watch about one half of the game until, obviously, we had a game by ourselves and had to go outside, and I came back in and, saw how they won, you know, down to the last second there. I mean, it's a, it's a great win in the, you know, in a big time game on the road. Uh, so it's, it's exciting to say the least. Speaking of, of fiery 
Ryan, when it comes to the Cardinals clubhouse, uh, we, we as Cardinals fans think that there's a lot of guys that have fire in there, guys like Nolan Arenado, Wilson Contreras. Now that you've seen them throughout a full season, who's got more fire in their game, Wilson or Nolan? Huh. Oh, it's tough. I mean, I feel like they – I'd probably have to say Wilson. I feel like he wears his heart on his sleeve a little more than Nolan. But Nolan – I mean, it's neck and neck. Nolan definitely – you know, cares just as much as anybody that's ever played the game and wants to win just as bad as anybody. Um, both those guys, you know, are, are leaders. And, you know, to Nolan's standards, he felt like he didn't have a great season, you know, but I think he's, you know, solid as they come still and had, you know, a good season. And Wilson turned it on there the last four months and, you know, was one of the best hitters in the league. So, um, obviously, the year didn't go as way we wanted to as a team. But, you know, those guys are huge cornerstones for us. Ryan Helsley is our guest here on 101 ESPN Cardinals reliever joining us on behalf of big league impact. We'll talk about his all win campaign here in just a moment. Ryan, what'd you learn about Wilson Contreras this season from where you guys started with that relationship as a pitcher and a catcher to where you are today? Yeah, you know, he had the chance to go play in the WBC and he wanted to stay with us in spring. So got to know him a little bit better there because we obviously a lot of our clubhouse was gone, but you know, I, I love the fact that he wanted to be there and, you know, get to know his new teammates. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of him. You know, he really cares and he wants to win, you know, just as bad as anybody on our team. And, um, you know, he, he truly cares. He's always in there working and, you know, asking, you know, guys their feedback and input and what they need to, you know, be the best that they can be. And, you know, I think he's going to be great for us for the next, you know, four or five years, however long his contract is. When you think about what that relationship was like, Ryan, for so many pitchers, yourself included, with Yadier Molina over the years, I mean, this is a guy that's basically been here in St. Louis as a stalwart for 20 years. How difficult was that transition, trying to learn not just Wilson Contreras, but any catcher that was going to be taking over here in St. Louis for Yadi? Yeah, it's different. You know, it's like a comfort thing. Um, you know, I had Yadi and Andrew Kisner and Kisner came up through the minor leagues and I've played with for, you know, seven years now, then Yachty is obviously one of the best to ever do it. So, you know, having that comfortability out there on the mound, you know, just takes a whole another type of pressure off of you. And then, you know, having to throw to somebody new is like wondering if you're on the same page and adding an extra element to the game, you know, it's, it's a little nerve wracking out there um, trying to get on the same page sometimes, but, you know, Wilson's done a great job in adjusting, you know, to our, our pitching staff and, um, you know, having Yachty back there was it was crazy. You know, having him understand the game better than anybody, and you know, he basically aligned our whole defense every pitch. You know, he was always giving signals to guys and getting everybody where they should be, but deciding on how he wanted to pitch certain guys. And you know, it was just crazy how in depth and in tune to the game he was. And you know, he was a special, special player. Ryan, since we're talking about adjustments, you as somebody who comes out of the bullpen during a game, you get to see the outfielders from start to finish in such a good view. A guy like Jordan Walker, what kind of adjustments have you seen from him in terms of playing the right field position? Yeah, he's been awesome. You know, he just looks more aggressive out there and more more sure of himself, um, rightfully so. You know, when he first came up, he had only played a few games in the minor leagues in the outfield, and having to do that in front of 45-plus thousand in Bush Stadium has got to be a little nerve-wracking, so you definitely feel for the guy out there. But, you know, I see him every day out there going to work with Willie and other outfielders, you know, just wanting to get better. You know, he truly cares, and he wants to be, you know, as best as he can possibly be and help the team win in any way he can. And, you know, the kids got all the tools in the world and I'm super excited to see him flourish. Ryan, as a guy that throws a hundred, I would imagine you have a little bit of respect for what you've seen so far from Mason Wynn. What kind of an impression has he left on the team with the defense that he's been playing there at short? Yeah, he's been awesome. You know, he's 
since day one, he's brought up the energy and, you know, just like Jordan, he's young and energetic and excited to be there and, you know, just wanting to help the team win and make a good impression. Um, he's awesome. You know, you're out there pitching and you can hear Mason, you know, hyping you up on the mound, which, you know, I love it when you can hear the guys behind, behind you out there because it's, you know, when you're in the ninth inning, it's usually a big moment and the crowd's going crazy and to hear some of your guys behind you hyping you up kind of helps you a little bit and lock you in a little more. So he's a, he's a great player and a great talent. You know, just like Jordan, I can't wait to watch him improve how, day in and day out. How big of an impact, Ryan, do those younger players have on a clubhouse, specifically at this point of the season? Yeah, you know, it's it's huge. Those, those guys, you know, they, I remember coming in when I was young, you feel like you don't want to step on anybody's toes. You just want to, you know, do the right thing and not say, say anything out of turn. But, you know, those guys are great. They've done an unbelievable job so far and, you know, love what I've seen from a lot of all those guys. And, um, you know, these, you just told them, you know, these reps are important. Obviously, we've been out of it. But, you know, you're getting everybody's best, whether you're 40 games out or you're 30 games ahead, you know, it's the big leagues. You're going to get everybody's best effort night in and night out. Final question that I've got for Ryan Helsley, baseball-related here on 101 ESPN. He's joining us on behalf of Big League Impact and the all-win campaign. Uh, Ryan, you had a big moment, uh, what, at this point, a couple of weeks ago when Adam Wainwright was able to lock down his 200th win. You went out there for a four-out save, something you didn't have to do, but obviously with it being that game for that player and what that meant to this city, you were willing to do so. What did that game mean to you in order to be able to go out there for the four-out save to get Wayno's 200th win? Yeah, you know, uh, he's been obviously trying to get 200 wins for quite a while now and had some tough ones there throughout the middle of the summer and pitched great in Baltimore and got to 199. And, you know, you kind of saw him almost find his groove a little bit against a good team. And so you're thinking, you know, coming into this game, he's – Feels pretty good, as good as he can at this point in his career, you know, and the Brewers obviously a good team and he goes out there and does seven shutty and, you know, just in the bullpen the whole time, I'm, you know, probably as nervous as I've ever been, you know, just because you know the magnitude of the situation and, you know, felt like a playoff atmosphere out there, honestly, and, you know, thankfully I was able to, you know, lock it down for him and, you know, enjoy that moment with him and, you know, Wayne was a special person and, you know, he's done so much for this city and this team and, you know, very a very selfless person, and to, for him to reach that personal milestone was uh, something I'll never forget. Well, Ryan Elsley is a part of the All Win campaign. That is a part of the big league impact uh, legacy that he's going to leave here in St. Louis. Ryan, tell us a little bit about your partnership with the Habitat for Humanity, how you got involved with that, and what you're trying to do for them with this All Win campaign you're a part of. Yeah, you know. Uh, this is my fifth year now in the, in the big leagues and, you know, been a part of the St. Louis community, you know, during that time. And you know, my wife and I were just trying to think of ways that we could give back and, you know, what we felt like would be the most important. And, you know, just helping Habitat for Humanity was huge for us and just helping people, you know, get a roof over their head, you know, just getting the simple things in life that we, you know, sometimes take for granted every day. And, you know, just helping those people who are less fortunate, you know, we just really felt called upon to give back and, you know, help as much as we could. He's Ryan Helsley, Cardinals reliever. Ryan, we appreciate the time, man. We'll certainly be uh, checking you guys out down the stretch here, watching as the Cardinals finish up the 2023 campaign. Wishing you continued health, and we'll talk to you again soon. 
Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ryan. Got it. That's Ryan Helsley joining us here on 101 ESPN. Again, you can check out uh, the all-win campaign by going to bigleagueimpacts.org. You can find all of the information there. If you want to contribute toward Ryan Helsley's all-win campaign, that is the place that you can go to do it. Alex, I asked about that four-out save that he had in, uh, in Adam Wainwright's 200th win. T-Bone mentioned the, uh, this to us before the show today. Josh Hader uh, last night was asked about turning down the opportunity to have a four-out save yesterday. A big potential win for the Padres. They're not really in the playoff race, but they're in the tertiary of it. Like, if, if things went awry, they could find a way to get in this year. And this is what ended up happening yesterday as the uh, the Padres ended up losing a game that Blake Snell was once again outstanding with. Josh Hader asked about his thinking behind not making himself available for four outs. Quote, it's a situation that we're at. When he was asked to clarify, he said, are we in the playoff race right now? Technically, the answer was would be yes. He said, quote, you guys want me to do everything, end quote. Oh, that's good. That is not the attitude that I would personally want from my closer. It is the attitude that honestly got him shipped out of Milwaukee, right or wrong, whether you agreed with the decision last year or not. Um, that I would say the Brewers are doing okay, all things considered, this year without him at the back end of their pin. What Ryan Helsley did to close out that game for Adam Wainwright, I do think is meaningful. And in a season that's been full of a whole lot of crap, that was one of those moments that you can latch on to if you're a Cardinals fan and say, all right, this was something that you can pull from it that shows you, despite all of the injuries, despite the issues this year that Helsley's gone through, that dude is willing to go out there and be there for his teammates when it's necessary. Yeah, and I mean, since it was Wayno and such a monumental one, you'd expect that. But I, Brian Helsley seems like the kind of guy that has that attitude to do that in any certain situation. And frankly, it's an attitude. We talked about this yesterday with Nolan Arenado and an underperforming season for him and, and where that drive comes from. I, I frankly want a lot more of that around certain guys. And if the bullpen is the biggest spot where that comes in, you know, you're setting yourself up for success. It's no coincidence that the Padres have been in this position and then you got yourself a Josh Hader. And it always makes sense when certain guys get moved around an awful lot. And especially when you got the talent like Josh Hader, you look elsewhere and making that comment kind of makes sense. Just like we found out about um, Kirby out in Seattle. When the guys start making those comments, comments now you start to get the real picture of who they are as a teammate yeah and, and it's impressive to see Helsley continue to do it because he didn't just do it for the Milwaukee game of the 200 win he just did it in San Diego yeah. unlike Josh Hader he went out there now he did and blow, one of those he teams is legitimately out yeah the playoff and race. the Cardinals have been out for a week at this point I think so the fact that Helsley took the ball and went and ending in a third I know it didn't go the way he wanted to giving up a run and it was a blown save for him at least he's still taking the ball and saying, you know what, I want to go prove that I can go this inning in a third if you need me to. I, I understand that one of the things that was critical of me going into that arbitration case last year was you're not available. Now, yes, he dealt with injuries, but he wants to try and get rid of that stigma. That's why he's continuing to go out there and not saying, well, we're not in a playoff race. Give me the ball. I'll go out there and do what you need me to. And somebody on the text line said, guys, you, why didn't you ask him about why he can't go back to back? That's what fans want to hear. He has gone back to back, guys. He, he he went back to back on September 8th and 9th against Cincinnati and allowed zero runs in those two games, did not allow a hit, had three strikeouts in those two opportunities. Then went back to back again on the 12th and the 13th, uh, ended up picking up the save in both of those games. Then he went back to back again with one of those being that uh, save that we just talked about against Milwaukee, where Wayno got his 200th career win. Did not allow a run in either of those two games either. So actually most of his opportunities recently 
have been back-to-backs. I think that's something that the Cardinals are trying to push for to see, okay, where are you at health-wise? Are you good enough to go in these back-to-back situations? Is that something we should pull back from uh, going into next season? These are the kinds of things that they're trying to figure out right now as the season is obviously a lost cause. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, speaking of those San Diego Padres, they are thinking about tearing this thing down a bit going into the offseason. That doesn't mean tearing it down to the studs, but they're going to have to pull back in terms of the payroll. What does that mean potentially for the Cardinals? Talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 3999-646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers coming up in about 10 minutes or so. We'll talk about how the Cardinals could benefit from the Padres trying to shed some of their salary in the offseason. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys of the playoff contenders, who do you think has the most pressure to get a World Series win this season? Texas. I like that one. Especially for how much money they've spent. And I mean, how much you've invested on the win now mentality. Um, I would say they're all win. Should have had that joke 10 minutes ago, man. Uh, you've changed. That was bad. <laughs> it was bad. Sorry, guys. Disappointed in you. Dropped Luke off at his daycare today. So, you know, dad jokes are flowing. Understandable, man. It just gets worse from here. You know know he's writing that down. He's going to bring it up when he gets home. Are you kidding me? I have an entire (laughs) Halloween one ready to go. (laughs) Just wait till next week. Um, I I would say Milwaukee. Uh, when When you look at the Milwaukee Brewers, we talked about it last week. They're a team that I would say is probably going to do a little bit of subtracting in the offseason, probably trading one of their starters. Um, and potentially Craig Council, like his future, I don't think he's going to be managing Milwaukee next year. I don't know where he's going. He may take a year off of baseball. But I think they're a team that's under a lot of pressure, which feels weird to say because they haven't gone all in necessarily. But it feels like if you don't win, damn it. Um, if, if, if you don't win the World Series this year with this team and the pitching staff that you have, I don't know when you're going to get back to that because they're probably going to trade Burns. They're going to listen to Brandon Woodruff. They may even listen on Freddie Peralta. I, I just don't know how they can get back to having that kind of core that they have in their pitching staff, which is really good, but they don't have the offense to go with it. So I think they're under a lot of pressure. Is it can weird it, that the Atlanta Braves would be under pressure? So that's one that I was going to consider, I, I think, because of the pitching side of things. Well, and also because, I, I mean, you're viewed as a World Series or bust. Yeah. Like you're not viewed as a team that has success if you win the NLCS. Like you are what you're you viewed as like you you're put all this be, money on this core. You've got two, three of the best players in the game. You should be winning. You're supposed to be a dynasty. Yeah. I'm going to go with a similar kind of pick. I would go Philly. Like, I, I think there's a, a decent amount of pressure on the Phillies to be able to do this this season. And the reason why is because, man, for all of the talk about their offense and there should be plenty of talk about their offense. It's spectacular. It's one of the best in the game. Really, the formula for them to win the World Series last year was those two big guys at the front end of the rotation. And that's going to come to an end, most likely, at the end of this season. For all of his struggles this year, Aaron Nola is a huge piece of the identity of what the Philadelphia Phillies are. And if that walks out the door, we don't know what their pitching is going to look like a year from now. So 
I do think there's a little bit of pressure for the Phillies to be able to capitalize on this and to get the World Series that they've been craving. So I, I would I would say Philadelphia has a little more pressure than I think maybe we're giving it credit for. You right mentioned now. the Padres looking like they're going to have to tear it down. Does Philly ever get to that point? Like in terms of we need to take a step back in terms of how much money? I don't think so. Um, but because like if you if you don't get past the DS this year and you go into next season with all of this payroll, got to imagine at some point Phillies have to be looking at this as like, okay, maybe we need to take... So you step back of being these big spenders. I don't think they would step back. I think they would they would continue putting their foot to the Lean throttle. Lean into it and I trade for like one five Soto. years from be doing what you're yeah. talking about. Especially with Dombrowski. Because yeah. you know who makes a ton of sense? I just thought of this when you were saying that because I was like, eh, maybe. But Dombrowski's not typically that guy. I could see them just going all out and acquiring Dylan Cease this offseason. Or Blake yeah. Snell. I was thinking, or Blake Snell. Or I was thinking yeah. Juan Soto. No, yeah, I can see you already too. got Trey Turner yeah, and Bryce Harper. Like, I could see yeah. them pushing a little further going yeah. into next year as opposed to pulling out a little bit further. Um, it's been 15 years since that team's won the World Series. That's a, Dang, that's it's a been that big long. deal in Philadelphia, yeah. man. They, they went last year, and I think being able to capitalize on this current core, because we know what happens with Dombrowski. You're not wrong to wonder that, Alex. Eventually, it will fall apart. Yeah. Like, there comes a point in time where he has these long-term deals that he go, gives out, and then about five, six years into his tenure, you look at it, you're like, whoa, 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 yeah. this is going to be bad. And then he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> he goes he and does the same thing somewhere else. Chill at the beach while somebody else's props. And then Smart a year man. later, he'll take over a great situation, and he'll probably have a ton of success there. Build a World Series contender. Five years after that, it goes horribly awry, and he leaves once again. It is the Dombrowski yeah. cycle. I respect the hell out of it. I love the way that he builds teams. But there is a downside to the way that he builds teams after the success that you're able to have. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. We got to ask it. Guys, what did you think about the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing? Did you guys talk about this yesterday at all? No, no I didn't want to talk I about it. I didn't either. Really? I, yeah. I, Dude, I'm... I, you're in? Well, of course I, you are. I it's cannot, your team. It's not even about that. Like... When you get Bill Belichick asked about the Travis Kelsey dating scene with Taylor Swift, that tells me that this is not just a, I'm a Chiefs fan, therefore I'm interested in this. Dude, Taylor Swift might be the most famous pop culture icon that we have today. I mean, she is. I don't I don't know that, like, you could throw whoever else. My hand is Taylor Swift. You could put what I, we could play this like a game of war. You put your hand down. It, it, do you have one that can beat that? Oh. I, I mean, like, uh, and I know the comps are off, but like... And T-Bone didn't live this. And I mean, BK, we only kind of were very young with this, but like that Michael Jackson era when he was at his fame, where people like ran after cars for him and were crying when he performed. That's what Taylor Swift is right now. And you have that. The one piece that I will say that this is good. And I saw somebody tweet this out, like the female viewerships of the NFL significantly rised when they found out Taylor Hall or Taylor Swift was a part of his jersey sales went up 400% this weekend. He is now a top five merchandise salesperson within the NFL. And I don't even care about the relationship side of it. If like, if they're actually a pair or not, the the smartest thing the NFL and the Kansas city chiefs could do is to just act like this is an actual thing. I I think it is. It probably is. But what I'm saying is even if it wasn't, even if Taylor Swift just went to a football game, because Travis Kelsey invited her, 
this is the smartest thing to do for your team and for the NFL. And frankly, if you're Travis Kelsey, welcome to skyrocketing your career beyond playing in the NFL. Saturday Night Live, you're going to probably be in movies. You're going to be showcasing at these concerts and everybody is watching the NFL now. That's what I find most interesting about this for Kelsey specifically. This is going to catapult him into things that he never could have done previously. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like Every door is now open to you. Whatever you want to do, whatever it is that yep. you want to do, that person that is in that line of. Yes, that uh-huh, that too. Uh-huh, yeah, that too. Yep. A person within that industry now knows who you are. And that was not the case two weeks ago. Because Travis Kelsey, while being a massive star in the NFL, dude, there are people that have zero interest in sports. They're very different than the three of us in this room or that any of you that are listening today. But there are a lot of people out there that just are completely oblivious to what takes place in the league. Uh, Taylor Swift reaches many of those people. Her interests, her dating life, that is something that millions upon millions of people spend hours of their day consuming my wife hates football and she said did you see taylor swift is dating the kansas city chiefs player yeah that's what my wife said to me somebody texted my buddy the other day he screenshotted the text for me and said was travis kelsey a big deal prior to the taylor swift news (laughs) he's like yeah kind of a big deal in the nfl someone said he's got gronk status no he's bigger than gronk now I I mean, you are bigger than Gronk right now. And and part of me really thought that this was just a campaign of her being the Super Bowl halftime performance. In terms of recognizable names, I'm not sure. And I'm not I'm not trying to overstate this. I'm not sure there's a more recognizable name in the NFL currently to a wider swath of people than Travis Kelsey Mm -hmm. because of this news. Yep, That's what the NFL is right now partnering with. So the NFL didn't need help. It's just fine. It's got crazy viewership numbers every single weekend. I, I've never seen anything quite like that. For the breakup album. Yeah. I was thinking, this, is this going to last as long as... Uh, if her, was her relationship with Tom Hiddle, uh, Hiddles, Hiddlestrand? Hiddleston? Hiddleston? Yeah. Loki? Yeah. I, can't remember, I can't remember exactly how you pronounce his last name. She was oh, with there's him. definitely going to be an album she, about oh, Travis yeah. Kelsey. She was with him for truly two weeks, and album, it was massive at the time. Is the album, album title going to be called Mustache? And it's going to be like Taylor Swift with a mustache? Got to be right. It'll probably be something about catching Kelsey. I mean, that was his TV show name. Probably play off. Say heartbreak in Chief Kingdom. There you go. Not subtle at all. Just send it out there. I truly believe heartbreak in the Heartland. Oh, that's good too. She she just does she does this personally to uh, just get that album sales skyrocketing. And who better to go after than Travis Kelsey? Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll continue with NFL quick hitters, like actual NFL on field no, news this time around. Though, as opposed to the off field relationship, we didn't even get to the Super Bowl halftime performance. You excited about that? I am pumped. Usher's a good one, dude. Yeah. Usher, Usher was oh, like Jesus, T Bone. Dude, yeah. I can't wait for Usher. Fun fact: I used to do hip hop dance classes, and I danced to a Usher song. I believe that. Wait, is that a thing? A hip-hop dance class? Yeah. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was pretty really? good at it. Wow. I wasn't. I Coming wasn't up next, lessons. has Blake Snell changed your perspective on his off-season value for the Cardinals? Talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, I think Snell is actually a, a good name for them uh, because I think he'll be uh, attainable. He won't cost necessarily the very top of the market. I would assume that Aaron Nola is the top of the market. And uh, then you've got G. Lito and Snell probably the next two. And if you can get Snell to uh, a Gossman-type contract, I think I'd be into it. 
That was Eno Saris joining us a couple of months ago about Blake Snell and potentially being an option here in St. Louis. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, Blake Snell has not allowed more than three earned runs in a game since May 19th of this season. He has, in his last 23 games, an ERA of 1.2. To put that in context... Major League Baseball put out this stat yesterday. The only pitchers since 1920 to have an ERA of 1.2 or lower in any 23 start span in a single season were Bob Gibson in 1968. They changed the mound because of that season and Blake Snell this season. Bob Gibson in that 23-game stretch had a 0.85 ERA, just ridiculous. And Blake Snell has a 1.2 ERA in his last 23 starts of this season. Alex, when you look at what Blake Snell has accomplished this year, he's going to win the National League Cy Young. Strikeout numbers are incredible. He is walking way too many guys, but that's just something that you deal with when you have him as one of your starters. If he's going to be this kind of effective, you live with the walks. He's leading the league in walks, and that's fine. He's got a 2.2 ERA on the year. Alex, are you reevaluating at all your interest level in Blake Snell based on how effective he's been able to be for the long haul this season? I am, and I can't believe I'm saying that. And one more stat that I just I find so crazy that what you just mentioned with those 23 starts, we all loved the 2019 Jack Flaherty version. Like in those 23 starts to end the season, he was a 2.21 ERA. That's what he's been in terms of Blake Snell for the season. Yeah, yeah. Like in strikeouts, 173 for, for Jack Flaherty in that frame of 2019, 186 in that frame for Blake Snell, and he's still got a few more starts to go. I am reevaluating it. Here's the thing. I I still don't trust the longevity of Blake Snell in St. Louis. I'm worried that the way he is, is not going to last the term of what you're going to be paying him. And frankly, you're going to be in the position that we're all afraid of, of years one and two are great. And then three, four, five, six, if you go that route are going to be a disaster. And you're wondering what to do now. But I I can't be a hypocrite because I'm saying the same thing about Nola. And I'm saying the same thing about Yamamoto. And I've said the same thing about guys in the past. Like, if you need a stud to make yourself win now, this is it. And it scares the bejesus out of me. And I'd rather have Nola or Yamamoto if I'm putting money out there. But if I get this Blake Snell for the first two years and say it's a five-year contract, I mean, I'm getting a Cy Young candidate. Now, I do it does his swing and miss stuff work in St. Louis when we're talking about Wilson Contreras catching him? Are the walks more of an issue? Does the technology and the coaching and the analytical side of pitching work as well as it does in St. Louis is what he's been through? Those are all questions I have. But I can't sit here and act like I don't want a dude who's got a 1.2 ERA through 23 starts. That's stupid. Yeah, I so I, I like the idea of Blake Snell. I've said this, but the contract, what it's going to be, does scare me because of what you said. Sure. Because the moment his stuff does start to uh, take a step back, if he's still walking the world, it's going to become a nightmare for Blake Snell. Um, so that is my major concern. But I think what you said of... Do you want to win right now? I I think that's the question the Cardinals have to ask if they're going to explore the Blake Snell market because they can hand out that contract. In fact, they need to be doing deep dive into the starting pitching market. So handing out a massive contract, two hundred plus million, maybe something they're going to have to explore. But I think he's the only guy that's the number one on the market. We talk all the time. Is Aaron Nola the one? What no. about Sonny Gray? What about Yamamoto? Maybe Yamamoto becomes a number one when he gets over here. The only guy that I can just highlight on this free agent market that is this is a number one starting pitcher is Blake Snell. And if you bring him in here, 
he's the guy that you look at and go, oh, bleep, we face him tonight. Even though he walks the world, we're still scared to death to go up against Blake Snell. So You know who, who else used to walk the world is Randy Johnson. Yeah, guy he's pretty good. Guy walked everybody, and it turned out to be a Hall of Fame career. Even <laughs> like, killed a bird. Yeah, true. I, I think somebody on R. the text line makes a, a fair point here. Guys, you just compared him to a once-in-a-lifetime type of season. It's ridiculous to believe that he's going to do that again or even be close. I actually think that's true. If you sign Blake Snell expecting him to repeat what he's been this year, you're doing so and you're expecting unreasonable, um, lofty expectations going into next season. But I don't think anybody should be expecting that out of him. Instead of expecting a season where he starts 33 games, which is what he's probably going to do this season, and gives you 185 to 190 innings with a 2.2 ERA, I think it's reasonable to expect him to be closer to what he was last year. 25 starts, gives you about 150 innings, ends up with a sub 3.5 ERA. If that's the pitcher that you end up signing and he's walk or striking out, you know, 12 per nine innings, which is kind of what he's been at for the majority of his career, is that worth the money that we're talking about, Alex? Because I don't. Th- I think the texture does make a fair point of you can't expect this version of Blake Snell. This is a once in a lifetime type of season for Snell. He's probably never going to repeat it again. But he doesn't have to repeat this. He just has to be damn good. And he can be damn good for whoever he signs with next yeah, year. Yeah, I'm not signing him for what he's doing this year. I'm signing him because he's been an ace in his career. It's the same reason I'm signing Aaron Nola. Now, I know he's not been an ace right now, and frankly, he's declining. But, I mean, everyone uses the phrase, oh, well, you're signing him for past. Well, welcome to free agency. You suck at developing to where you get those aces, so I don't have them in the wings right now. Maybe Tim Kentz, maybe TK Roby. But those are two to three years away still to get to that ace level. This is what you have to do. And I have to ask myself, who is going to fare well for me in the next two years? Because if that's the window of Henson Roby, then let's bridge that gap for me to get those guys at ace level. Who's going to give me the best in the next two years? For a long time, I thought it was Aaron Nola because it's innings. I know he's going to grind out those starts. And I still like the idea of Nola. But if I'm going to get the swing and miss stuff of Blake Snell... I'm paying for that. I'm not paying for the, oh, you just want to sigh young. That's an added bonus. Let me ask you this follow-up question to that, because I, I, I agree with everything you just said, Alex. You get to have one of these three criteria. You get one of these two guys at seven years and $30 million a year, Yamamoto or Snell. That's what they're getting. Th- seven years, 30 mil per year, so $210 million, which you're paying them over the outset. You can get NOLA for five years and $125 million, so that's 25 a year. Or you can get Sonny Gray on a three-year deal worth $20 million a year. So seven for 30, five for 25, or three for 20. And your options are Yamamoto or Snell in that top category, Nola in the middle, Gray in the low end. Which one are you Which one are you most interested in? I mean, I'm most interested in Yamamoto because of age. But if we're just talking tiers, I'm going tier one. One of those two. You'd go Nola Snell or, Yamamoto. or Yamamoto. Or excuse me, Snell or Yamamoto? Yeah. But I'm, I'm doing that with the understanding that that other guy I'm going to sign probably isn't going to be as good. I mean, we're going below Sonny Gray level. I I agree with what you just said there, and I would say probably Tier 1 as well, but I know the Cardinals are going Tier 2. Can I get Tier 2 I, and I, Tier 3? And, and the reason I say they're going Tier 2 it isn't so much because they don't like Snell and they don't like Yamamoto, but they are the team that just always goes in that second group and of what you said. Can you get they're, 2 and 3? They're, well, they're going to hope that not only just that, they're going to hope and go, we, we've got... TK Roby. We've got Tink Kent. We got to bridge the gap, but let's bridge the gap with a shorter bridge on a five year deal rather than being stuck yeah. on a seven year deal to where if it does go awry, which I think is very possible for Snell, 
they'll look at it, and this is the point that BK's always said where he hates the way the Cardinals operate because they did this with the Harper contract, 13-year deal or whatever it was, where they would say those four years could be bad at the very end and we're paying them 30 mil per year. Instead, if you sign Nola to five years, maybe you only get two bad years on that contract. And I I just don't think the Cardinals can operate that way of let's bridge the gap to these guys because you have struggled in terms of developing these pitchers into adequate aces. And like it's different on the position player side because I know like at least that bat's going to play if the defense falls off. If you can tell me that I'm going to get tier two and tier three of Nola and Gray and I miss out on one of those top two, I'm probably going to lean more towards that way. But if we're just going off of singular pitcher, I want Snell or Yamamoto. Yamamoto is the preference for me, though. You guys know how much I have been all in on Aaron Nola in the last year or so. He scares the hell out of me going into this offseason. I mean, his fastball velo is down a bit. The expected numbers across the board are are down a little bit. The actual numbers are down significantly against Aaron Nola this year. There's been some conversation about it potentially being related to the pitch clock. I think I'm starting to be interested in going to the top of the market and the middle of the market now and just avoiding that second tier with Aaron Nola. He just scares me, man. Middle Midway through the season, all of his numbers were like, okay, yeah, you could see these kind of regressing in a positive way. You could see him getting back to the player that he once was. And instead of being that, it's gone the opposite direction. It's gotten worse down the stretch than it was earlier in the year. And the fact that the Phillies don't seem particularly interested in bringing him back also gives me a little bit of pause. The team that knows you best has decided, eh, we're good. And they don't have an obvious internal answer. Like, they don't have a guy that's going to come in and just be the new Aaron Nola. They're just saying, eh, we'll be all right. We're a contender. We'll figure this thing out. We're just going to go ahead and let this guy that every year throws 200 innings walk to free agency because hmm, we sign all these other dudes to $30 million contracts, but not for that one. Nah, we're good on Aaron Nola. That does make me a little same, squeamish. Same conversation as Swanson last year. Yeah. Where he looked at Atlanta and it was like, wait a minute. They signed legitimately everybody to a long contra- contract extension. They said, Swanson, eh. If he guy. was in like Milwaukee or Kansas City or something and they weren't going to sign him to the 25 plus million dollar per year contract, I'd be like, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. They does, never do that. Does what this if- happen for, sorry, cut you off, Alex. Does this happen for Snell too? San Diego showed no interest in bringing back Blake Snell. Well, they also have the conversation right now that's taking place of we have to get our money in a reality check moment here. If this was three years ago, San Diego, yeah, I would totally be with you. That that would be con- concerning to me, but I don't think they can do it. I just think they literally, I think their owner is like, hey, hey, we did not have the success that we were expecting this season. Reel it in, boys. Let's go ahead and got to yeah. tighten the purse but strings a little bit me, here. Though, is like, I think if, if he's this guy, you'd want to move on from other pieces and keep Blake Snell. How much changes on Nola if he deals in the playoffs? Uh, like, if this dude goes out there and is the best pitcher, how much changes? I think it changes a lot. Because I think Agreed. I'm going to sway back and forth with Nola. I, I just like the idea of Nola because I can still sign a top-level pitcher with him for that one-two punch rather than relying solely on the one guy I'm spending so In much on. In a way on. that I would disagree with you, and this is not necessarily you so much as it is the Cardinals, you can still do that with with uh, signing Yamamoto oh, or yeah. Snell. Just now, open up it, that to Wallet. It's more years. It's yeah. not a ton more money on a per-year basis, man. This is where I just flat-out vehemently disagree with the Cardinals. They view it as the total... Outlet. What are we going to pay over the course of this contract? Right. That's you brought up the Harper deal. That's what they always said about that one or the Machado deal. We're not willing to spend the two hundred million dollars. I don't necessarily view it that way. Maybe one's wrong or the other. Maybe it's just two different viewpoints on it. I view it as thirty million dollars a year. 
what can you get for $30 million a year? Well, you could go get Yamamoto or Snell, or we could pay $25 million for Aaron Nola. Yeah, one of those ends two years earlier. So it allows you more flexibility down the road. But man, what's that flexibility gotten you right now? You locked yourself into a bunch of bad contracts over the last few years with that flexibility. So instead of having those new bad contracts on the books, why don't you just get a dude that could be really good at the front end? And like you guys said, let's try to win right now. That is what signing a Yamamoto or a Snell potentially does for you. So I would want one of those two guys and then one of Sonny Gray or Imanaga coming over from Japan. And let's ride, man. Let's see what that ends up looking like. Oh, no, not the Broncos. I was going to say, easy, Denver. If they they could get the two Japanese pitchers, dude, I I think I've convinced myself that that is the best route. Yamamoto and Imanaga. Yamamoto and Imanaga. Let's just recreate Team Japan from the WBC. You don't don't have to give up any draft pick compensation in that scenario. So the top five picks that you're going to get, you actually get to use all of them instead of going into the market and signing one of the current free agents that's going to be attached to a qualifying offer. So plenty of uh, conversation to be had on all of that. We'll get to it more as we get into the offseason. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. T-Bone, I don't know if you were able to get this off your chest yesterday, but the coaching in the NFL seems to be getting worse. Sucks. While everybody's saying they should be more aggressive, they seem to be getting more conservative with their play calling and their decision-making in-game. Why is this happening? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. So I wasn't here yesterday, so I don't know how much, if any, you guys were able to talk about this. But the coaching in that Raiders game on Sunday night was an affront to any NFL fan that watches any amount of football over the weekend. Raiders were down by eight, two and a half minutes to go. They have the ball in the eight yard line. Instead of going for it, Alex, in that scenario on fourth and four, they kick a field goal. So the score is now 23 to 18. So previously they needed a touchdown. And then of course the two point conversion to be able to tie the football game. Now you need a touchdown in order to win the football game. In both scenarios, you would have to still score a touchdown in the previous one though. You can do it now. You need just this one possession in the new scenario that they have presented for themselves. You need to regain control of the ball and go back down there and score. Alex, this is something that has been happening far too frequently this year in my eyes. What is going on with coaches that seem to be getting back into their conservative shells? Offensive coordinators shouldn't be head coaches. And certain players, like certain guys, are falling into that trap right now. I think Brandon Staley is one of them, and I think Josh McDaniels is one of them. McDaniels has not had success as the head coach. He's always been... He's always just kind of felt like it's not enough. But then when he goes back to being an offensive coordinator, you're like, oh, damn, this guy should be a head coach. So that's what I would say with that one. It feels like when the guy who's the offensive coordinator that's got all of the skill in the world to, to, to write up the correct plays for his roster, time management seems to be the biggest issue or the wrong play seems to be the biggest issue where certain guys, guys like Kyle Shanahan, they know how to, they know how to do it. That's my excuse for it. I just think the coaching stinks now. Like, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. That decision by McDaniels, dumb. Staley, going for it on fourth and three from your own 26 when you're up four. That was stupid, by the way, Staley. Almost cost yourself the team. Oh, let's not forget Minnesota running to the line and then not spiking the football to let the clock run off. Matt going for two. And college coaches, you're not out of this either. 
Matt LaFleur? Going That's for why two? they won the football game. No, didn't they do it earlier in the game and yeah, like it almost lost it won. for him? No. So that was actually a really smart move by Matt LaFleur. So he goes for two down by 14, which allows them the opportunity, if they end up getting it, to just win the football game by kicking the PAT in the next one. If they miss it there, you're down by eight, so it's still a one-possession game. You just go for two the next time around, you potentially go into overtime. That was a really smart move that we don't see enough from NFL coaches. I, I loved that decision. That was the opposite of what we're talking about here. That was super aggressive. This was them turtling up into a shell and being like, oh, well, we, we need to get a stop either way. No, man, go win the football game. Coaches are so afraid of what's going to happen. This is the old conversation that we have, T-Bone. So afraid of what's going to happen if they end up missing, if they end up getting it wrong in that spot, that they don't look about Too much what happens guessing. if I do get this. Yeah. If you're the Raiders and you convert on fourth and four, you have a real chance to be able to send this thing into overtime and you don't even have to worry about giving the ball back to the opposition. If you don't get it, well, then, yeah, you got to get a stop. Guess what? If you do end up kicking this field goal and you end up giving the ball back to the opposition, you still have to get a stop. At least in this scenario, they're inside of their own 10-yard line. It limits the play calling for the opposition. There's a lot of times where I will argue for coaches to be aggressive, where I understand there is a alternative viewpoint that is reasonable. While I disagree with it, it's reasonable. This was one of those rare scenarios where there is only one correct answer, and the Vegas Raiders were in the wrong. That is a borderline fireable offense I, I thought in my mind all weekend we saw terrible coaching from the nfl and the college how do you run notre dame how do you run two plays with yeah, 10 guys dude, on the football field that was awful. after a timeout i might add so i i think the coaching as a whole has just been bad and it's not even just fourth down decisions whether it's not being aggressive or being too aggressive i think some of the coaches are either second guessing themselves or it's just one of those where it's just not good football smarts. I don't really know how to explain. I thought the coaching over the weekend was abysmal at both the college and the yeah, NFL I mean, level. If, if we're talking fireable, like Brandon Staley should be freaking gone right now. Like, I, I just, I don't know how you're a team with the Chargers and that much talent and, and still sit there and act like he's the right guy for you. I'm with you. And they found a way to win, but it was yeah, barely by, by no <laughs> because you went them. up on another incompetent coach with a team. So speaking of coaching, we just talked about the bad. I'd like to get to the good. Are the Arizona Cardinals well-coached? Because I can't come up with any other explanation as to why they've been as competent as they have been so far that, this year. That or Joshua Dobbs is much better than people give him credit for. Well, and I know that's not the case. So, oh, Jesus. Man. <laughs> the Cardinals have spent 123 minutes leading this season. They have trailed for 30 minutes total so far in this NFL season. Again, 123 minutes, uh, minutes spent leading this year. In 23 spent or 30 minutes spent losing. They've gone up against Washington, Dallas, and the Giants, who aren't good. I understand that. They're one and two on the season. This is not something to suggest that they're a legit threat in the NFC or anything of the sort. But we all clowned this coaching staff when it was hired. Were we a little too harsh on them before we had seen whether or not Gannon was going to be a good coach, Alex? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, watching this team now. I'm very curious what they're going to look like when you get Kyler back, because at least you can put some competent quarterbacking there. I, I was down on it, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was a defensive-minded coach, correct? Yeah, he was a defensive coordinator in With, Philly. Yeah, okay, so when you brought it in, we sat here and we said, like, why are you bringing a defensive-minded coach to an Arizona Cardinals team that's trying to thrive offensively with Kyler Murray? And well, because this, his defense wasn't very good in the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> well, this is why, though. 
This yeah. is why, because he believed that he could take an Arizona Cardinals team and make them a more competent team defensively, which is going to benefit them offensively. And now if you're the Arizona Cardinals, you've got the Houston Texans draft pick on top of yours. So, yeah, this might have been the smartest move possible in terms of what was available for you on the coaching side of things. And I don't know that they're going to win another game for like Thanksgiving. So, again, I want to be very clear. Here. For this is not picks. me suggesting that they're going to be a contender. Their upcoming schedule is San Francisco, Cincy, the Rams, who are better than any of us could have expected. Seattle, Baltimore, Cleveland, Atlanta, Houston, L.A. Raid, uh, Rams again. Like, It's a tough slate for them, and they're not a very good football team. But the way they've been playing so far this year has been really encouraging if you're a Cardinals fan or if you're just somebody that was like, man, I think this team's going to be written off for the next decade. They've got real reason for optimism right now. And I'm with you, Alex. When Kyler Murray gets back, I legitimately am, am intrigued to see what that looks When's like. When's he here. expected back? It's rumors he could play this week. Really? Is it really? Because yeah, they were talking about it on Fantasy Football Radio on my way in. They're like, hey, pick up Kyler because there's a chance he could be playing this week. I mean, seriously, though, if he Even comes- if it's a month from now, though, like, it'll be compelling to see what he looks like in the second half Kyler, of the season. Kyler could get back to what he was two years ago, three years ago, where we all were looking at it's like, oh, man, Arizona might have struck gold with this kid. I, so, two things. I'm going to start on Kyler. Kyler's under a bleep ton of pressure oh, because this yeah. team is playing really w- with playing Joshua well Dobbs. with Joshua Dobbs. And though they're one and two, there's kind of good vibrations around the Cardinals. You bring in a guy, I know, uh, you bring in a guy in Kyler who last year was pouting a lot, slamming the iPad. This offense ain't very good. And playing Cod a, really a lot. Point. You want to talk, That team looks bad when he returns. He's gone. He's not the he's not a franchise quarterback for Arizona. He's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. My second thing on the Arizona Cardinals, I'm not convinced yet that they're led by a good head coach. Good head coach will finish a football game. They've blown two games. Right. That stink. team, I know Look they stink, but like Joshua Dobbs. You've got the lead, and you're up that big against the Giants, by the way. And that's probably the game I would circle. You can't lose that football game, and I get it; they're bad. But the fact that they collapsed and blew that game with a bad roster, I understand. That can't happen. Dude, I'm with you in general. Like, theoretically speaking, they should have never led in that game. I'm kind of on that side where it's like, dude, the fact that they were getting out to these leads in the first half, first half signifies good coaching, typically. Second half signifies better team. Um, Because you can can scheme up some stuff to give yourself an opportunity early that the other team is not prepared for. And I think that's kind of what the Cardinals are doing See, right now. They're, I, they're getting their best stuff out there. The other team adjusts. And by the second half, they're just outmanned because they do not have the players. And that's where I would say differently. I would say second half is where you see the money made for a coach because of the adjustments that they make. And again, I I totally understand everything you're saying about it being a bad roster. I 100% agree. Yeah. That loss to the Giants, though, should be circled and looked at and said, okay, what really happened here? Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex has something he would like to get off of his chest. We'll get into that coming up in the junk drawer. But Uh coming up next, the Blues are building around more size. They are also getting an answer from one of their defensemen that seems to want to be here long term. We'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, I really want to harp on it for too long, but um, you know, I don't want to talk about that. I, obviously, I, I chose to stay here and 
Uh, I think that, you know, I, I want to be part of this room and love playing in the city and, and wearing the blue notes. So um, something I'm very excited about. And um, obviously, you don't want to, you don't like hearing things like that. Uh, you know, I have kids, I have a family, uh, a lot of things to think about. But uh, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I want to be here and, and wear the note. And uh, we have a great locker room here. With the, you know, great feeling in the room this year, and uh, I think we can turn around quick. That was Tory Krug out of Blues practice earlier this morning. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford about his takeaways from his conversation with Krug coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But Alex, I want to get your perspective on this. Tory Krug was the subject of a lot of trade rumors during the offseason. In fact, so much so that there was an actual trade that was agreed upon between the Blues and the Philadelphia Flyers. It was going to send Tory Krug up to Philly. And then he said, no, I don't want to go to Philadelphia. So the Blues tried to work out a trade elsewhere that would be appropriate for Krug. And it never came together. Krug now knows that. He was asked to waive his no trade clause. And he said, no, I'm not doing it. I want to be here in St. Louis. Krug has four more years left on his current deal at $6.5 million per year. He still has that full no trade clause. That's not going anywhere. Alex, when you think about what his long and short-term future looks like here in St. Louis, and you hear him say something like that, what comes to mind for you? I think short-term dictates long-term. If Tory Krug gets back to being what he was two years ago, which, I mean, again, is the statement we make for all of the top four defensemen for this Blues team, I don't know how many conversations we're having about this defense. I mean, Tory Krug was among the top 25 defensemen in terms of points and plus minus in 21-22 season. And it fell off significantly last year. The biggest problem for Tory Krug is staying healthy. And it's tough when you're a smaller stature defenseman. Look at Scott Perunovic, especially if you're a guy that does play physical like Tory Krug. But... If Tory Krug is available for you and if Tory Krug is playing, it's a guy that's going to provide you somewhere between 40 and 50 points. And specifically, it's going to be on the power play. And I just looked at this because I was curious where he ranked in terms of that 2021-2022 season when he and Justin Falk were two of the best defensemen on the Blues roster. Two, they were the best two defensemen. He was the exact same player as the guy that we have been clamoring, or at least I've been clamoring for this offseason, and Noah Hannafin. Like if you look at points, plus minus, time on ice, power play, he was the same player as Noah Hannafin. So that's who Tory Krug can be. The problem is, is he going to be healthy for you? And if I'm Tory Krug, you've never been more motivated, right? You were, you were almost traded to Philadelphia. You obviously know how the team views you right now. And if you won out, your opportunity to get out to the team that you want to go to is to play well. But if you are true to the statement that he just made and you want to be here long-term, well, welcome to benefiting this team. Because if Tory Krug plays to the level we've seen of him and not what we saw last year, and Scott Perunovic gets to the level they're hoping, well, welcome to your top four of Perunovic, Krug, Pareko, and and, and uh, Justin Falk. See, I think it's two paths that lead to the same result. If Tory Krug plays great this year, well, then why would the Blues get rid of him? <laughs> like, yeah. if, if he's an awesome player, he's a piece of your future building, and he's a guy that you want on your power play. He can play either in your top four, or let's be honest, worst-case scenario, you improve from Tory Krug this offseason. He's a third-pairing defenseman that plays a ton on your power play. You're like, hey, man, we're paying him $6.5 million to be a power play specialist. It's not what you want, but it's what we got, and he's a really good player in that it's specific sure as hell area. makes those two power play units pretty dominant if you've got Perunovic and Krug at their best. 100%. So that's one option is he plays his way into your future. The other option is he's horrible this season. He plays like he did last year. He ends up getting hurt. Same season over again this year. Guess what that means? He's back here next year again. You know why? Because nobody else is going to want him. 
That's just the truth. Nobody's going to want to pay him $6.5 million per year, and we know how this team operates. For better or worse, they are not going to eat 50% of that contract for the next three seasons in order to move off of that money. Because then you're only saving $3 bucks, and like... And Tory Krug's better than what you would be able to get most likely for $3 million in this year's free agent market. I mean, Marco Scandella is a player that's $3 million this year. Like, that's that's the kind of player, or honestly worse, that you're going to be able to get for that kind of money. So I think Tory Krug's going to be here for the long haul. I'd be surprised if he's not at this point in time because he has that full no-trade clause. He earned the right to have that as a part of his contract. This was their offseason chance. This was their opportunity to move on from that money. He decided, "Uh uh-uh, I want to stay here, and I don't think that's going to change. I got to be honest, too. Like, the the two guys that we we didn't get to this topic yesterday, but T-Bone saw it in The Athletic talking about Justin Falk. Like, your make-or-break season is dictated on Justin Falk and Colton Pareko. But two X factors, in my opinion, on the defensive side that could really change things are Tory Krug and Marco Scandella. Why? Because both have been injured. And if you look at that 2021-2022 season, all of the blinking red lights that everybody was talking about that the defense was going to be really bad, and it was the next season. But you played 60-plus games with Tory Krug and was out significantly. He was bad, and you missed half of a season of Marco Scandella. Like, those are two guys that if you want to see a significant improvement to your power play... Welcome back, Tory Krug. If you want to see a significant improvement to your penalty kill, welcome back, Marco Scandella. Yep. You fix those two areas. Maybe your five-on-five five play still isn't that great, but special teams-wise, you're going to be top 10 in the NHL like you were that season, and that's your path to a postseason birth. So from one guy who I think will be a part of the Blues' long-term plans to another one who I'm starting to question it, JR put this out on Twitter yesterday, talking about Zachary Bolduke. Alex, we knew this was a big camp for Zachary Bolduc, and we knew exactly what the team wanted to see from him. He knew exactly what the team wanted to see from him going into this year's camp. Craig Berube was asked about what he saw from Bolduc in the first games over the weekend. He said, quote, he's got to get inside a lot more. He's got to use his skill to create opportunities by getting to the inside, getting to the net, finding tough ice, and making things happen. The other thing, got to be responsible defensively. When you don't have the puck, you got to get yourself to work. It was Craig Berube on what he wants to see from Zachary Bolte. <laughs> Alex, if I didn't tell you when he said that, it could have been from this year's camp or it could have been from last year's camp. They knew exactly what they wanted him to do. And it sure seems like it's early in camp. This could change. Sure seems like they're running into the exact same frustrations as they did this time last year. That does not speak well to what the future holds for Bolduc here in St. Louis. Yeah, and we'll talk to Jer about this. From Berube, I believe what when Berube was asked, it was prior to Bolduc playing in that first preseason game, and I didn't get to see any of that. It wasn't on television, so we couldn't see what he played like. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. Tell me if you guys feel this way. Uh, what Berube said is not just speaking about Jordan or uh, Zach Bolduc, but he's also speaking about what he wants from Jordan Cairo. And also, when you hear what he says about what what he wants from Bolduc in terms of finding the hard areas of the ice, that's David Perron. Like, that's what David Perron was. Perron always found those small places where he took a beating but was able to get those shots off. They want Bolduc to play like that. And frankly, he's not in the lineup tonight, which part of me was a little surprised by, just because if if you like what he offers, you're going to get him in there as much as possible. Perunovic is playing, but there is a heavy group of forwards that you're trying to figure out who they are. But... Yeah, this is what 
if you're going to be a member of the Blues, you're going to have to go to the front of the net. You're going to have to be able to take a beating and retrieve pucks. And when you're not with the puck, you're going to have to get back on the defensive side. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to make this team. We'll ask JR about this coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. We'll also get his thoughts on the Tory Crew conversation. And he had a great piece earlier today that we want to get to with him about the Blues going back to their 2019 playbook. I hope they're not trying to go back too much to that 2019 playbook. Can't they just get back to 2021? We'll get to all of that with JR coming up in about 20 minutes or so. But coming up next, Alex has a little something he'd like to get off of his chest in the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. T-Bone, I'm BK. All right, let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, I'm just going to let you cook. Yeah, please. So I, I walked into the stu- uh, office today and I said, fellas, I need a good eight minutes solid on the junk drawer. I said I would give you five and we gave you five. BK is going to give much. me three, but here's where I'm coming. What the hell is happening with the office reboot? I don't know if you guys have seen the story that it popped out yesterday. And look, the SAG after strike still going on. It sounds like there's a resolution, but I was about to say it's resolved. We're good. Uh, Is it officially? Oh, I was going to say, I saw them talking about it getting closer. I didn't see them actually resolving it. This is what you're going to resolve the SAG after strike with a office reboot. And they're not like continuing the office from when it was remade with Steve Carell. They're rebooting the reboot. And you want to talk about the dumbest idea in all of Hollywood is to take one of the most successful like television sitcoms and try and recreate the magic that you had there. You don't do that. None of these people are going to be involved with it. The office couldn't be made today because some of the stuff that took place in there, I said, let me cook, damn it. Some of the stuff. <laughs> okay, give him a sec, man. Some of the stuff that was in those shows couldn't be done today, which is why it was so great. And the cast worked, the characters worked. You know what you don't do? You don't try to reboot Seinfeld and bring somebody else in to be Seinfeld. You don't reboot The Office and say, here's our new Michael Scott, here's our new Jim, here's our new Dwight. You don't do that. So this is a disaster of an idea. I hate everything about this. And the fact that people look at it and say, you know what people need? They need the office. They need the old office. Let's just watch reruns rather than reboot the reboot. Stupid. So you're going to watch, right? No. Hell, somebody said that to me. You know you're going to watch. No, I promise you I won't. I bet you do. I promise you I won't. You know what I watched that I didn't think I was going to? Because it reminded me a little bit of my childhood. Fresh Pit, Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. I watched Bel-Air. I'm not telling you that it's a particularly good show. It's not. But I enjoy it. Didn't watch it. You I, didn't? I seriously did not watch it. No, that's fine. But I, I, no, I, I know you feel about The Office the way that I felt growing up about The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I would bet very good money that you are going to watch this. Yeah. Very good money. No, I'm not. And somebody <laughs> said The Office is a reboot, Alex. Yeah, I understand yeah. that. It was a reboot from a show... Hey, that was made elsewhere. You know, they turned they they took that show and they made it into the US version. And guess what? Yeah. That first office, it was a completely different person and it only lasted like ten episodes. This one went like ten seasons. Look. 
I know you're upset because you don't like to see them reboot a bad show, so I get it. A bad I show. I prefer a spinoff, though. Yes. That's what they, like, if they're going to do something. But spinoffs or comedies don't really when was typically the, work. When was the last time you Better read? Call Saul, I, technically a drama, Let's had see. a little bit of comedy in it. That that was probably the closest thing that we've seen to, like, some, one of these things really Because, like, working. I know, I know, like, one that's being a pop, big pop culture one, they tried it with friends. They tried to spin off with Joey and it didn't work. When was the last time you've, that you've seen a reboot of a show that was successful? Okay, uh, that's a good, good question. question. I'm not sure. I, I don't think that's a thing. There have been people that have been a part of shows that says reboots wouldn't work. They said it with friends. They said reboots will not work of this. The same could be said. Steve Carell said you can't make The Office today like it was it, when it was made. It's so reboots are hard in general. Spinoffs are hard with comedy. Spinoffs can work in like action shows. I think someone right. said I How I Met Your Mother. They they did a reboot and made it How I Met Your Father. Terrible. I didn't. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I watched How I Met Your Mother. I completely forgot yeah. that they had made that. Yeah. A uh, Cobra Kai, that would be one. That was successful, I would say. But it wasn't a reboot. Like, you continued the story. Yeah. Like, you're, what they're, at least I'm understanding, because it's the same director. Greg Daniels is doing it. From what I'm understanding, they're rebooting the office of the reboot. So they're, like, trying to do the whole office again. And I don't understand how you do that. I don't know that this is for, like, our specific audience, but, like, my wife really enjoys the show. Queer Eye was super successful uh, as the reboot. Yeah. There's just not, there's not a ton of them that end up working out. Honestly, there's not a ton of shows that actually get greenlit after being uh, it's a reboot. It's just because so when, you have, need, yeah, yeah. when you have success, you just let it stand. You just let it go. And I, I just don't know how you can make that successful, especially if you don't have the same cast. Like, nobody is going to be on board. Everybody hated the end of The Office because when Michael Scott left. Somebody said Fuller House. That's probably the closest thing to it. But I don't even know if, like, that was it. Like, I wa- I've i seen Full House. I don't even think Fuller House was close to being as good as Full House. Uh, my wife loved no, it. for sure. But it was it was yeah. successful. My, my wife that, loved it. It was kind of like uh, Bel Air where it's not the same show, but it's kind of similar. You've got kind of the same idea of what the show's supposed to be. It gets to the heart of it, and you've got, you know. Yeah, somebody brought up Young success. Someone's brought up Young Sheldon, which yeah. was like the yeah. reboot of. Well, that's a spinoff. That would be a spinoff. Exactly. And then someone brought up Two and a Half Men without Charlie Sheen, but that wasn't a reboot. You tried to continue the season. 90210 was a reboot, right? The what? I think 90210 had a reboot, if I'm not Probably. mistaken. Probably. Hawaii Five O had a reboot. But see, that worked because it was older school and it was action. Like, you're rebooting a comedy. I think Arrested Development was technically a reboot. The last season that they put on Netflix. I don't know. I, I'm because assuming. originally it was on, te- it was for television. And I think they rebooted it for Netflix for a season, if I'm not mistaken on that one. So there's been a few, but man, it's just so rare. It's so rare that this ends up working I, out I just, or that it gets greenlit in any capacity. I'm just so, I'm so infuriated that they're trying to do this. I would hate to be cast as the lead character. Then. Oh, no, you, you can't. Because it, you can't a, be casted. It because, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. Same, it's the same conversation that you hear like actors say when it comes to like replacing Han Solo or replacing becoming the new Spider-Man. Why? Because there's You're so much gonna expectations be for who was the original. Like the two people it's you like can't. the next New England Patriots coach. Good luck. The two yeah. people you can't recreate are Michael Scott and Dwight. And if you act like you can, you're never going to match it up. He's Alex Ferrario. He's very upset. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon yeah, Kylie. Man. By the way, I should have clarified earlier. I said that the uh, the strike is over for the writers. You're right on the on the actor side of things. Still not totally resolved. Sounds like they're working towards that. But um, to clarify, my well, actually, well, actually, Alex was correct on that. Coming up next, let's talk to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for the Athletic here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. News, notes, and nuggets. It's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I apologize for Alex Ferrario during this segment. He has been lost at sea. He is overlooking at discount Amazon items. Right Let me now. tell you something. I, I saw something on there a year ago and it was patio furniture and I said I should get this and I talked myself out of it. Never seen it again and I am so frustrated with so myself. So if you are wondering, hey, why did Alex feel like he didn't hear what the last question was? That's why. We've lost yeah. him. He's gone. He's gone for the but segment. I found a $19 ice bath to get. So like, <laughs> nice. I might be buying it. So I'll let you handle JR for the next five minutes. So we are joined now. Jeremy Rutherford is going to save us here in this segment. He's the Blues insider for The Athletic. He was down talking to some of the players uh, at today's practice at training camp. Jared, we appreciate the time as always, man. Let's start with the big story from today's uh, practice, which was Tory Krug speaking to the media for the first time since the reported trade that was going to send him to Philadelphia was nixed via his no trade clause. What did you make of Tory Krug's comments today about why he decided to stay here? Yeah, it was interesting to talk to Tori for the first time, and people might be wondering, well, this happened in the off season. Why is it taking so long to hear from Tori Krug? And you know, I offered Tori a chance in the summer to talk to him about what transpired, and he declined. And obviously, knew that once he got to camp, uh, it would be a conversation that that the media would have with him. And he's been injured, so uh, it didn't happen on the first week of camp. But today, we did get a chance to talk to him and asked him all the pertinent questions about uh, the Blues trying to trade him to Philadelphia. He, of course, invoked that no-trade clause. And what Tory said today, guys, as you probably uh, went over already, is that uh, his heart is here. He wants to be a St. Louis Blue, and he wants to be part of the solution. And he obviously cited uh, family reasons. He's got uh, three young kids and, and uh, didn't want to be on the move. But more importantly, like he said when he signed here, signed a seven-year contract to, to be in St. Louis, uh, he wants to be part of this team. So we talked to a couple teammates. They're glad to have him. And uh, Tori, after being a little bit banged up last year and now starting this year with an injury as well, is ready to get back into uh, helping this team. Side note, Jerry, I found an electric toothbrush for you, buddy. If you need it, it's $20 on Amazon. <laughs> Let me know if you want me to buy that for you. Uh, in ter- uh, in ter- are you saying my teeth are yellow? <laughs> just, just the breath, my man, just the breath when we talk. But it's not a big deal. Um, when when Tory Krug returns and he and Doug Armstrong both kind of noted that the, they're hoping he could play in a couple of exhibition games. Health, of course, is the most important factor into all of this. But if so, what can he be for this Blues team? Well, you know what? Something I think was uncovered uh, today in his conversation, and this tends to happen with injuries. Uh, Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he mentioned today that he had shoulder surgery last offseason a year ago leading into uh, a year last season and so um, that's something that you know can be kept under wraps if if the team doesn't bring up bring it up if the player doesn't bring it up so now you go back to last season and you look at a player who was coming into uh, training camp and then the regular season uh, after rehabbing a shoulder surgery And, and so you know that's not an excuse and he was the first person to say that today that uh, everybody's playing with injuries. But you look back to last season and, you know, coming off the shoulder and then also uh, he gets hit in the foot with a, a puck, I believe, around Christmas time and missed some time after that. 
Uh, Tory Krug played a little bit banged up last year, and and I think that you look at that defense as a whole, Alex. It didn't play well. Tory Krug was, for lack of a better term, the the poster boy of uh, defensemen that didn't play well for the Blues last year. And you can't look at the injuries. He's just got to be better. And now he's invoked that no trade clause. He says he wants to be part of the solution. And now he has to be. So now it's going to be on him uh, to play better. So I think when you look at uh, the words that he said today, hey, it's, it's all great. It's fine and dandy. Uh, but that's not going to take him out of the spotlight. In fact, it's probably going to increase it as we get the season started and he gets out there. He's got to be a big part of this if he wants to stick around and, and see the last four years of this contract with the St. Louis Blues without hearing more trade talk and perhaps even the Blues coming to him asking him to wave again. Jer, I don't remember finding out about that shoulder surgery. I mean, I just kind of looked it up and the last time that it's noted he had shoulder surgery was when he was with Boston in the 2015-2016 season and I mean, you're talking about a guy who went from a 40-point player to a 50-point player the next three seasons after that surgery. Yeah, for sure. And, and we remember that hit that uh, I think he went to deliver the check. It was the season before. In the playoffs, and then he missed right? Some time. Yeah, in the playoffs. And then he didn't make it back for the end of that year. And then uh, it would have been shoulder surgery following that injury that season, of course. So, you know, that's something that hadn't been noted by the team or by him, which isn't completely uncommon, but it was something, like I said, uncovered today. He brought it up himself talking about last season. Hmm. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Uh, JR, the other big story at camp right now is the size of the team. And you have a really good piece on this over at The Athletic that people can go over there to find. I, I am curious, though, when you, when you look at the size of the team, I was going back through, we talked about this a little bit off air, you think about who's actually been replaced and whether it's physicality or size, I guess you could go both sides of this thing with it. But like Kevin Hayes has replaced Ryan O'Reilly. Kapanen has replaced Barbie. Vrana has replaced Tarasenko. Blay has replaced Walker. And then you're replacing Achari um, with Oscar Sundquist. Have they gotten significantly more physical? Like They're bigger. Have they gotten significantly more physical in your mind? No, so that's the thing. And, and I think it's going to be more what Craig Ruby is preaching and what the players are hearing and whether they're following through with it and, and executing that type of uh, game plan. So it's a great point by you because, you know, I think that you can look at the turnover of the roster from year to year. And I did that for this article that's up at The Athletic. You look at, you know, a couple of years ago, a Kyle Clifford, a Clem Costin, a Dakota Joshua. You know, you're probably not talking about much difference in terms of the type of player or the physicality. From these guys, that's why you look at last year, and they were pretty physical, but for whatever reason, you know, they, they weren't doing what Craig Bruby and the coaching staff needed them to do. And, and, and obviously when things snowball with the eight-game losing streak, you know, it, it's tough to get back onto your game. They didn't do it. Uh, but I think when you look at this season, some of these names that you just talked about, a couple of them, yeah, they're not as physical as the players who left last year, especially when you look at, like, an Achari uh, so we're going to have to see what happens. Hey, it's great to have turnover. The guys didn't get it done last year. Perhaps these new guys will. But I think big picture, it's going to be the, the bottom line is going to be, do they get the message? Do they execute it as opposed to this particular run? Jared, we got your – you still there? Yep. <laughs> He's at Centene, maybe getting into that cellar where you're trying to walk out <laughs> Been of there. there, buddy. We Dead certainly get a bad there. there. Jer, to that point, is that going to be the difference of those couple of fringe players making this roster out of camp if they're adhering to what Craig Berube is preaching? And I'm thinking of guys like, you know, Nathan Walker, or Mackenzie McEachern, or Nick Ritchie. Like, is that what's going to make this squad? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fair 
question, you know, if guys are doing what the coaching staff wants, you know, are they going to have, have a leg up regardless of kind of their standing? And, you know, I, I don't know that that's going to be the case, though, because you, you look at the roster, it's fairly well set. You're kind of you're going to see two lines tonight that I think are going to be uh, what you'll see on opening night when you talk about Saad and Shen and Kapanen. You're also going to see uh, Vrana with Hayes and Blay. I mean, those are two potential opening night lines. And then you look at the uh, fourth line potential, Sunquist and Torpchenko are going to play together tonight. They're going to have Richie. You know, does Richie make the team? You know, I think when you look at guys like McEachern and Walker, those are 13th, 14th guys at this point, regardless of how much they show and a willingness to forecheck and, and get things done. So uh, to me, you know, I, I, there's still a little bit to play out here in training camp. Still got, what, six games or so. Uh, but I think that the, the Blues like who they like, and they're going to see what they get from them the rest of the camp. And, and, and I think that these are going to be the guys they go with. And, and I think they're just going to have to adhere to the program if they want to be a part of it. As a follow-up to that, JR, how much are waivers going to play into the roster decisions that are made? We talked about this last week when I was in um, about Tyler Tucker and some of the fourth-line decisions and whether or not guys that are not roster or wa- waivers exempt, maybe they stick around a little longer to just keep them here. How, how do you view that? Yeah, it's kind of funny because today uh, we had Craig Bruby for a few minutes and uh, obviously Scott Perinovich had a great game the other night and we've talked about his waiver situation. Could he be a guy that goes to Springfield because uh, he doesn't uh, need the waivers? And I asked Craig Bruby, uh, how's that defensive competition 5, 6, 7, 8 D guys shaping up? And he just responded quickly with the, hey, listen, it's too early, boys. It's too early. So, uh, yeah. He, he didn't want to give any insight to, to how that how that's shaping up. I mean, it definitely is going to play a role, I think, in their decision-making. But to me, what I keep looking at, let's just zero in on a guy like Perinovich. Hey, does it make the most sense for him to go to Springfield uh, because other guys need waivers? I, I suppose. But you need guys playing like, like him playing, and he played well the other night. And so he's a part of your future. Is Marco Scandella a part of your future for the next season? He is, and you're going to need him. You're going to need him in the lineup in terms of the PK and things like that. But regardless of the waiver situation, what I'm looking at is who's going to be part of this organization for the next couple of years. Who do you need to play well? And if you identify those guys, and Scott Brinovich is one of those guys, he's got to be here, and he's got to be playing well regardless of the waiver situation. All right, JR, we'll get you out of here on this. I saw your quote yesterday from Craig Burby on uh, Zachary Bolduke and what he needs to see from him the rest of training camp. I, I wasn't sure if you just copied and pasted uh, what he said about him from a year ago because it sure sounds very <laughs> similar. What was your impression that you got from from Craig Burby on what they've seen so far from Bolduke and how far he still needs to go to be the player that they want him to be? Yeah, probably still a ways, but I think it's a situation where you got a young prospect who's a skilled guy. Uh, look, 105 goals the last two years combined with his junior team, and he comes up here, and you know you're not going to play in the top six in the NHL on this team right now if you're Zach Bolduke. So, you know, where do you find your role? Is it going to be third, fourth line to start out? It probably is. And BK, if you're going to play that role, you got to get inside. You just have to. And he's not accustomed to that type of role. He tried to do it a little bit more uh, this year in his junior hockey league. Uh, So you're going to have to see improvement from that area. And you're right. I think that's something that we've heard from Craig Ruby about Bull Duke. And it's all up to these young guys to get that message. If he wants to be in the NHL, he's going to have to show Craig Ruby exactly uh, what he mentioned in that comment about getting to the inside a lot more. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can read his work over at The Athletic. He's got a great piece that went up earlier today on the size of the St. Louis Blues and trying to get back a little bit to that 2019 identity, at least from that perspective. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. 
All right, boys, thanks. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford live from the uh, Centene Community Ice Center, I do believe, where he was just out there for the Blues morning skate. Alex, he mentioned the fact that we're going to see a couple of the lines later on this evening that uh, sure sound like they could be opening night lines for the Blues. Your combinations, at least in the top three lines for this one, Sod, Shin, and Kapanen. Feels like something we could see. Vrana, Hayes, and Blay. And then your potential opening night fourth line, which I would love to see. Nick Ritchie, Oscar Sundquist, and Alexi Torpchenko. That tells you everything you need to know. I mean, also the the fringe player, Mackenzie McEachern, playing on a line with two guys that are destined for the AHL. And I, I look at this and say, okay, Blaze playing in a spot that's probably a spot that Neighbors is auditioning for, and Richie's playing in a spot that probably Nathan Walker's auditioning for. Is it for. possible we're overestimating the likelihood of Neighbors being on the opening night roster, by the way? I, I think is he's it possible gonna, he heads back down to the AHL? I, I would say no to start. If he's here, I think they're going to want him to be on the NHL roster, and I think they're going to give him every opportunity to be playing, even if he's on that fourth line. And Richie's but if this the, is the fourth line. Maybe, but, I mean, Neighbors was also playing on that line. I think it was... In Wichita, if I'm not mistaken, and that was the line and they said neighbors got dinged up and they gave him a couple of days off. So that might be part of it, too. I I do agree with you in terms of second, third and fourth line. We're looking at what potentially could be opening night and that extra forward would be Jake neighbors. It's hard for me to imagine they'd want to put him in the AHL unless he just has an awful camp. They'd want to keep him here so he can play with these guys. And then Neighbors is a person that comes in and out of the lineup like a Nick Ritchie or a Sunquist does. I like it. Uh, I hope this is your fourth line on opening night. I, do, and... I can't wait to see because I didn't get to see Ritchie in Wichita. And from what I've been told, like he was fine, but he really didn't make his presence known. You got a home game for Nick Ritchie. I would imagine he's going to be doing a lot more of and that. And he's still auditioning. He needs to go out there and have a good Absolutely. night. As excited as I am about Nick Ritchie, he needs to make an impression on this coaching staff in order to stick around long term for the Blues. All right, coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the air cover service text line for Bet It or Forget It. Boys, better to forget it. Our Missouri Tigers. T-Bone, you can be involved in this. Oh, good. <laughs> Kicked me out because I wasn't upset about the 11 a.m. kickoff. Yeah, well, I, I brought you back in. Our Missouri Tigers will be 6-0 after their meeting against LSU next week at 11 a.m. Alex. Bet it. I, I'm very worried about um, Vanderbilt because... no. no. That, uh, that, Trap game. that screams Mizzou like losing by a touchdown and all of us are upset. But I, I said this yesterday, like even LSU, I feel like Mizzou has the upper hand on just because of how high powered their offense has shown in the last two weeks. And I told Tanner, I said, is it outrageous for me to look at this team and say they're undefeated all the way up until Georgia? Like Georgia is that first loss of the season know, for the Tigers. Absolutely. And that's where I'm at right now. And then I had said that they're going to win the rest of their games after Georgia. And we're looking at an 11 win team. So bet it. Forget it. Oh, They're jerk. not beating LSU. Jerk. Here I could be fired up because it's 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, <laughs> See, this is why he kicked you out. I know. 
but I got to get my shot in. So I'm going to say forget it. I, I don't think they can beat LSU. I think right around 15, when you look at the top 25 right now, anybody below 15 is a good football team, but not great. And I still think LSU is a pretty dang good football team. And I think they can beat Missouri. I think LSU is pretty dang good. I also think we're overstating how unbeatable they are. They didn't just lose against Florida State. They got whooped against Florida State. They lost by 21 in that one. And then this past weekend, does anybody think Arkansas is really good? Alex, do you think Arkansas uh, is a really good football team? No, because frankly, I haven't heard much about them. Saw them a couple of weeks ago lose against BYU. They didn't exactly look super impressive against Kent State. 28 to 6 win there. And then they lost 34 31 against LSU. Kent State I think Missouri is a can program. absolutely beat LSU. And it also wouldn't surprise me if LSU, Alex, to your point, goes in this weekend on the road against Ole Miss and loses in that one. Now, I've got LSU winning, but it shouldn't surprise anybody if that ends up happening. It's probably, what, a seven-point line, something like that, going into this upcoming weekend. And if you've got a two-loss LSU team, that thought coming into the season that it had a real shot at the college football playoff, I don't know that that's going to be the most, like, overzealous group that's coming into Missouri for an 11 a.m. kickoff in Columbia. So, yeah. 6-0, baby. The Missouri Tigers undefeated going into the Kentucky game, which will then become the biggest game for the Missouri Tigers in the last. The Georgia game is going to be when they're playing the the primetime spot on ESPN and they're going to lay a dud and then everyone's going to be like, this is why we didn't give Mizzou the late kickoff. No, no, they're going to give them 11 a.m. They heard BK. Georgia Georgia is not getting an 11 a.m. kickoff. I want that at 11 a.m. Yeah, that's true. I don't need that being a a 6 o'clock kickoff. All right, Alex, All right, better to forget it, guys. Kevin Hayes scores more goals than what Ryan O'Reilly put up with the Blues last year. Scored 12 goals in 40 games for St. Louis, obviously, before he was traded. Um, better forget it. Kevin Hayes scores more than 12 goals this year for the Blues. Better. Yeah. I'd be shocked if he doesn't score more than 12. If not, we lost a trade. And we gave up one seventh you, round. I was going to say, I don't think you could lose a trade for a future sixth round draft pick. <laughs> no, you could. They could draft like Gretzky in that spot. Well, Gretzky 2.0. They could have traded for our guy, Ross Colton. Yeah. It was yeah. really about the Same. opportunity Dude, did you cost see, in the roster spot. Did you, God, who put it out there? Just somebody with the athletic put it out there and said, like, the player that nobody's getting enough talk about and somebody picked said Ross Colton. Ross Colton could be a 30 goal scorer for Colorado this year and I just I dipped my head immediately and I said you got to be bleeping kidding me. I mean he's right. I know he's right. I'm just saying seriously yeah, like that could have been it. Fan. By the um, way the, the the full total for Ryan O'Reilly last year in 53 games was 16 goals. Let's set the over under there. Taking the over under 16 goals for Kevin Hayes this year. I, I, I legitimately believe Kevin Hayes is a 15 to 20 goal score and I'd lean more towards the 20 goals. He scored 18 goals last year with Philly on that team and now he's playing at least tonight on a line of a Verona and a Kapanen or I'm sorry Verona and a Blay but probably could be with the neighbors could be with the Kapanen depends on how it works. I, I I think people are sleeping and not giving enough credit to who Kevin Hayes could actually be for the St. Louis Blues and a competent head coach. So I'd say about it. You know one guy with glasses once said Somebody's got to score on a bad team. That's what I'm saying. I would bet it though. I think he could. I think he'll be right around that 18 to 20 goal mark. So I think he would top O'Reilly's 16. Should definitely top 12. T-Bone, what do you got? Bet it or forget it. Somebody not named the Dodgers or Braves will represent the NL in the World Series. I don't think the Dodgers are going to the World Series. That I, I think they have a really good shot of losing in their first round series. Um, the Braves are the one that I'm having such a tough time with, dude. They're such a hard team to predict. 
because of the injuries in their rotation. I know I'll let you get into why you think they can get out of the NLDS without a whole lot of issues because it's an interesting point there. I'll say bet it that somebody not named the Braves or the Dodgers ends up getting to the World Series, and I'll say that team ends up being the Phillies once again. But if there's going to be one of those two, I, th- I do think the Braves should be and are the overwhelming favorite still in the National League. I- I'm forgetting this one. I think it's the Braves. I don't see how any other team gets out of the uh, National League. I'm forgetting it too if Charlie Morton comes back. And it sounds like he could be available by the time they get to the CS. They'll be fine in the DS because of the way it's scheduled this year where they play game one, off day, game two, off day, game three, four, off day, game five. And they can potentially, if if they line everything up properly, the Atlanta Braves and the Dodgers can do this too. They can start their top two guys twice in the division series, which is bizarre how baseball decided this is a good idea. Um, so if they survive the DS, which I think they can because of the scheduling, and Wharton comes back for the CS, I think they get to the World Series. If he does not, that's when I think the Braves falter. But right now, it sounds like his injury was bizarre, like right finger index inflammation or something like that. Almost sounded made up. But um, I think he's going to come back in time for the CS. I think they'll be fine, so I'm going to forget this. I still think the Braves are going to be the team to beat the NL. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's start with this from the 636. I'm not sure this is true. Guys, I love how BK went from Mizzou being a four to six win team to them being an eight to a twelve win team. Yeah, I know it happens. It happens Man, a lot. I, I went never from, once said I that. I went from six wins to nine wins to seven wins to eight wins. Now I'm saying eleven. So I said eight. I said coming into the season, this is a seven or an eight win team, and I think eight feels about right. For I, what heard they could be. I heard six. I hate both of you so much. Uh, from the Couldn't find that audio anywhere. Three one four guys, better to forget it. Trevor Simeon will start at least a game for the Jets within the next month. Forget it. I'm betting this. I think Trevor Simeon will 100% start for the Jets. Unless there's an injury, it's going to be Zach Wilson. I'm forgetting it, I'm sitting all of my New York Jets offensive weapons in fantasy football. (laughs) Anybody want Brees Hall? Anybody want Garrett Wilson? Do you want Brees Hall? Yeah. Anybody want Garrett Wilson? I'll take him off. You want to make a Garrett Wilson for Brees Hall trade? (laughs) No. No, I wouldn't. Would you just both be miserable uh, with a new Jet? I actually think I've convinced myself to play Tank Bigsby over Brees Hall on my team. Here, I'll trade you one. No, this week, last week. I missed it. He's on I'll, my bench. I'll trade you one miserable wide receiver, DJ Moore, for another. How's that sound? Hey, at least That's the ball's interesting. At least, trade. at least yeah. the ball's getting thrown to DJ Moore. The ball's not even getting thrown to Garrett Wilson. Yeah. Both could have starting quarter, different starting quarterbacks later on. Stupid. I, I don't, I the reason, reason I don't think Trevor Simeon one. There's no chance you could even squint and say that he's yeah. a ton better Trying than Zach to explain Wilson. That to a team. I think you can just continue to throw Wilson out there. I, I don't think they'll change to Simeon. Hey, hopefully by week 17, the dude actually looks competent enough to throw a touchdown. In our league, after week one, or before week one, I picked up Jerome for Ford. Yeah. After week one, I dropped Jerome Ford. Well, who'd you drop before? You probably got a great pickup. I genuinely don't remember. Oh, I remember. End. It was a tight end from Kansas City. Oh, Noah Gray. Yeah. That was it. It was Noah Gray because uh, surprise, Travis Kelsey surprise. was hurt. Yeah, he forgot. So I picked you him up. You know why this sucks so much? Because you made it a 14-damn-team league. I could have had Jerome Flex. Ford on my roster over Brees Hall, and instead I'm stuck with this bum. I'm complaining because I'm 3-0 and in our league, but yeah. I just won with 74 points. So, like, yeah. it's going to fall, and I'm waiting for it to. You I want a it. New York Jets-style football game. Just grind yeah, it out true. of air. Yeah, the problem is it's going to blow up in my face when it matters. Somebody said they just dropped Dalvin Cook like a boulder. Yeah, if you have Dalvin Cook yeah. on your team, you, you should, come on, get, get rid of him. Come on. He goes uh, around like a boulder. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Better to forget it. Justin Fields is benched by the end of the season. 
Uh, I'll forget this who's one. Who's your backup? Does it matter? Uh, it's some guy that I'm not kidding you. I got guys. I watch a lot of football. You know, I have way too much time on my hands prior to having a baby. I watch yeah. a lot of football over the weekend. Their backup quarterback is a gentleman that I had genuinely never heard of until yesterday. Hit me with the name. I got to look him up again because sometimes, you know, those names, like Nate Peterson or something Nate like that. Peterson. Wasn't he a- Tyson? Bajent? Bajent? B-A-G-E-N-T. I'll forget this. That's if a you've hockey heard player. of this dude, you are a better football fan than oh, I am. Oh, yeah. He's from, uh, yeah, from Shepherd University, Martinsburg. Yep. That's the college? <laughs> exactly. Hey, the first story that pops up when you the first story that pops up when you Google his name, OJ Simpson predicts Justin Fields will lose Bears job to Tyson Badgent. See? Well, I'm gonna well, forget it. I'm, I'm not, not gonna, gonna agree back with OJ. OJ on this one. Yeah. <laughs> there was a report that the Bears quote turned down multiple offers from other teams for Tyson Badgent in Shepherd University. Yeah. That's where Tyson Badgent wins. Someone asked if Tyson Badgen is related to Travis Badgen, and I don't even know who Travis Badgen is. <laughs> we don't know who Tyson is. How are we going to know his Poor brother? Poor guy. I'm forgetting this one. Justin Fields will be the guy all season long. Yeah, I'll forget this. I think it's more. It's He's an arm wrestler. Oh. What? Tyson Badgen is that's a, a career did he arm join, wrestler. He joined the fast lane at one point. Remember back during the pandemic, the oh. fast lane interviewed like uh, shin kickers. Ah, uh, the years of arm wrestlers. Years of the pandemic on the radio. <sighs> the good old days, huh? BK and I interviewing He's chefs. the son of the arm wrestling legend. Really? Yeah. Wow. So he's got a His hell of an arm. Dad is one of the greatest arm wrestlers of all time, and as of last Saturday, he is the NCAA's all-time leader across all divisions in career touchdown passes <laughs> with 159. Okay. Bleep so off. when you hear, bleep off. Where is Shepherd's University in division of NCAA? Three. Division two. No. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've called some D2 games in my time. and Never saw Shepherd <laughs> University pop never, up on the scoreboard? I never saw somebody who's going to outstep a quarterback in the NFL. Well, Justin Fields better watch out. Yeah, because his dad comes in and he's going to wrestle him to the ground. Yeah. That one wasn't as good as the arm one. It wasn't trying to yeah, be. One was oh. Oh. <laughs> arm one was definitely better. Uh, Shepherd University, by the way, they're the Rams. Let's Ooh. see who the biggest alumni. Well, this guy's up there. He's got to be, right? What was his Shepherd's- first name again? Tyson. I don't even remember what his name is. Shepherd University alumni. Let's go through the list of famous individuals. John Cornwell. It's uh, in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Wayne Wilson, beautiful uh, NFL player, played running back for the New Orleans Saints. Of course. Um, Ricky, Big Wayne guy. Ricky Schmidt from the Arizona Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Randy would know all of these names, I'm, emo- I'm imagining. John Doyle. Of course. Um, Matt Lewis. Yeah, old Maddie. And then uh, Maddie Poo. And then a, a former judge in the uh, Northwest District of West Virginia, of yeah, yeah. Gina Marie Gro, mm-hmm. famous Shepherd University alumni. Yeah, naturally. And now Tyson Badger. Badgen. I, I bet he gets in their Hall of Fame. He's not on the website right now, so. Wow. That'll change. We got to edit that wiki page. At least go back to the Wikipedia page. And they went 13 and 1 last year. Tough loss, though, at the end of the season to mm. the Colorado School of the Mines. <laughs> Of the mines? Yeah. Mines, M-I-N-E-S. No. <laughs> they used There's, to send me a bunch of like mail whenever I, was in, whenever I was in high school. Like, oh, really? like is it a school no. for miners? Like coal no, miners? It's, it's the school of the mines. 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 Like, like with a, a D I, I guess I'm struggling with this. Mines. M-I-N-D-S. Nope. No, M-I-N-E-S. M-I-N-E-S. So this is for coal miners. The Colorado yeah. School of the Mines. Did I do it better No, that it still sounded like a D okay. at the end. Well, I, I thought there was a Z. Man, it'd be great if there was a mime school. 
And, Tra- and Travis Badgett went to it. Like, how great would it be? Is like, where'd you go? I went to the school for mimes. All right, we're vamping here because uh, the next thing we got to do is talk about the Cardinals here on 101 oh, ESPN. God. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's very little that you can take from the Cardinals finish to the season this year. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up here in just about five minutes or so. But I want to talk a little bit about this Cardinals finish to the year, Alex, because it's it's been a very forgettable last month or so of the year. I don't know how much you guys have been like diving into every single play of every single game. It's been kind of difficult, honestly, to get myself really amped up for any what? of these especially when college football and the nfl are taking place over the weekend i, I couldn't tell you when i watched a full cardinals game like since football has started i couldn't tell you how many cardinals games i've, been, I've watched I've from been, start to finish i've been locked in trying to manage along with all the 200th so, start was the last game i watched from start to finish yeah that one was like that was there it. was still a story yep. to be had there and, and then i went Bloop, we're done. And let's be honest, the Cardinals are feeling the same way. They've put like their entire starting lineup on the oh, yeah. injured list other than uh, Paul Goldschmidt. No. And it's basically Goldie, Edmund, and Newt Bar that remain from the opening day line. Arenado's already in his offseason yeah. mode. He's got the golf bag ready to go. So the reason oh, why I mention that is because I, I don't want to take too much from anything that we've seen basically post-trade deadline. I do think there are three things, though, that we've learned. Can I go through these with you guys real quick? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about it. Yeah, BK. Let's get the three takeaways. This is going to be Woo, the BK buildup. Build up. I can't oh, wait. I should have made the open for the BK. There's your open. That's pretty much what these takeaways are. So number one, Mason one is every bit as good defensively as he was advertised to be, and he's still a massive project offensively. Though the at bats, I think, have been looking a little better of late. Alex Mason Wynn settles down your defense on the infield in a way that they never really had this year. I thought Tommy Edmund was a perfectly capable shortstop, but he didn't play there a whole lot. It was mostly Paul DeYoung. And while I know in the past, the metrics have shown DeYoung to be an above average defender at short, he was pretty average, if not below average. I thought this year at shortstop Mason Wynn, dude, did you see the play that he made yesterday? Yep. Oh boy. That is something that you did not have with Paul DeYoung there. And honestly, Tommy Edmond didn't have that kind of arm. He could have had the range to get to that ball. He does not have the arm to get it over to first. Mason Wynn changes the way that your pitching staff is going to be able to go about things next year, especially with the context that's going to short. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's just not surprising to me because he's everything I expected it. I expected the bat to not be great right away, but I expected the arm and the defense to be as solid as you can ask for. And frankly, it's what gets me excited for next year, at least at that position, because I know you're going to have a gold glove caliber player at that spot. And frankly, for Mason Wynn, I hope the bat adjusts in the offseason now that he's seen enough of major league ready pitching and I I think it will I I think offensively he'll be better now I'm not saying he's hitting like Jordan Walker 270 next year but can he be around 210 230 and I think that's kind of the hope for is he can be about there provide just a little bit of pop but use his speed and then also just play great gold glove defense so number two by the way I said yesterday I apologize I was off yesterday so I thought it was Sunday it was two days ago when the Mason Wynn play happened. You'd watch every game. I know. I should yeah. be way if more on top in. of the freaking Cardinals. You'd know what day it was. Takeaway number two. Zach Thompson, who's starting tonight for the Cardinals. They play tonight, right? You, you guys? Yeah. yeah. Okay. No. Uh, listen to the sports center update. He's the only starter out of the Hudson Thompson Rom Liberator group that actually meaningfully plays into any of my decisions with my rotation going into next year. 
I think Zach Thompson's been really good down the stretch. And I know that some of his stuff has like taken a bit of a step back. It almost makes me feel better about him as a starter next year, though, that his stuff took a step back and he was still getting through five innings and giving up typically three to four earned runs. That's a guy that I can win with as my number five starter. So going into next year, Hudson Thompson, or excuse me, Hudson, Rom, and Libertor mean nothing to me in my offseason decision making. They will not play into any of that stuff. Thompson does. He makes it a little different for me in terms of what I'm building around my rotation. Frankly, I'd like another apology at some point for you just yeah. ishing all over me when I brought up Zach Thompson as a starter. But yeah, you're now correct. And hey man, I've you stopped looking at the analytics. You I, stopped looking at the analytics, my man. Yeah, you went with your games. gut. You went with yeah. your gut. I think Thompson should be their six next year. I think that's what the plan should be. Stick with the signed three starters, but you're right. I mean, he's the only one that's proven something. Um, I know this isn't on the list, so I'm going to bring it up real quick. Wait, I'll get to my third first. Oh, Cardinals bullpen needs every bit it. as big of an overhaul as the rotation. Yeah, well, that part's true. Yeah, very um, true. Welcome, uh, welcome, to the bull- so. I, welcome to the bullpen, Drew Rahman, Dakota. I, <laughs> I do like what we have seen from Libertor out of the pen. Now, with that being said, he's got to win a job in spring training, yeah. but I do like what the, what we have seen from him. I know he gave up the home run against Manny Machado. Yeah, did you watch that game? I did. I saw that curveball get crushed. Mostly because there's something on at 9 o'clock at night. Win a job in the bullpen from Adam Libertori? He's basically been gifted that because that's free work in the bullpen for the Cardinals. What? They don't have to go out and pay somebody to come oh, pitch their bullpen. Libertor is going to be their seventh he, inning guy. He should have to earn a spot, though, because we talked about that bullpen needs more flexibility going into next year with guys that can ride that shuttle down to Memphis. Yeah. He should be a guy that's going to be a part of that shuttle and be just a reliever next year. Can he be that Nick Martinez role that we talked about yesterday, Alex? I think he possibly could be. Now, he's going to have to continue to show signs of improvement because I think he's been good in the bullpen. I, I like what we've seen from Libertor. I think I think one thing else that could be added to this learned list is Libertor's future is in the bullpen, and I think it could work. So that's what we got. Oh, man. Mason Wynn earned a spot. That, He's a good defender. Zach Thompson is a fifth or a sixth starter, depending on if you agree with me and Alex or if you think that T-Bone's right. And the Cardinals bullpen, it needs a lot of help, dude. A lot of help. And that's going to require trades and free agent signings. One guy that I think is kind of the pivot point for the Cardinals bullpen going into next year is Andre Pallante. He should not make the roster out of camp. He should be a guy that is fighting for a roster spot out of spring training. And if that ends up being where he falls on your depth chart, you've done exactly the right amount in terms of improving that bullpen. If he is a guy that is locked into your bullpen on opening day next year, you have not done enough to improve the, the bullpen. And I'd add in a couple of other guys to that list too, for the Cardinals to act like Packy Naughton's going to be a part of this bullpen. Nope. Better audition for yep. it. And these Wilking Rodriguez, Guillermo Zuniga life that they're living. You have no role in my bullpen until you show me something throughout spring training. Yeah, earn it. Yeah. Right now, right now, I've got three dudes in my bullpen, and it's Helsley, Gallegos, and Romero. Everything else is up for grabs. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll have the rewind coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you're listening to the 
station tonight. You'll hear pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning at 6 o'clock. Blues versus the Blue Jackets. The battle for the Blue is back in its illustrious mm-hmm. return in the 2023 form here on 101 ESPN. You see Mike Bepp? Oh, wait. Nope. He no. will not. Uh, we're going to go ahead and not go down that path. Why not? Um, what happened? Alex, what are you looking for tonight? What, what is, if you could watch one thing, what are you going to be honing in on as you watch this game or if people are listening to it right here on 101 ESPN? Probably those fringe players. Like, I want to see what Kevin Hayes looks like. I want to see what Scott Perunovich looks like in his second game, now playing with a different D partner. We talked yesterday about how he looked with Colton Pareko, and I think he looked solid. But it's going to be that second and third line. It's going to be Blay, Verana. It's going to be Kapanen, Richie, Sonny, Torpchenko. These fringe players that we're trying to figure out if you're making the team, if you're not making the team, who stands out above the rest? Because everything else is pretty much set in stone. Good answer, not the right one. Perunovich is my answer. Perunovich is playing well, some the of us, Some of us already watched Scott Perunovich play, so now we just want to see more. I did not. I some was of us not. didn't get a day off on Monday. Yeah, yeah. Did, didn't see it. Some of us um, didn't get to go to the zoo. What did you think of Perunovich? I your loved first, him. Your initial reaction? I loved him. I, I thought he told me he's playing with Perico this year. I, I think that's honestly his yeah. his. Army mentioned that last year. Remember? His best opportunity of making this team out of camp and playing here is going to be with Perico. He can outplay Nick Letty, and Letty becomes a third pairing. I would like to see, honestly, Scandella as your top pair defenseman with Pareko. I think they want puck movement with Pareko. I don't think they want physical and stay at home. I think they want... And watching Pareko and Perunovic play together, I mean, the puck wasn't in the zone for more than three seconds when it was on their tape. I mean, as soon as Perunovic had it, he was already passing it to the forward in the neutral zone. And Pareko likes to jump up into the rush. I really like the idea of that. I think the spot with Falk is Tori Krug's. And if Pareko and Perunovic play well together, Nick Letty could be playing on your third pair or sitting in the press box. Well, that game is coming up tonight. Looking forward to it. Alex will be watching some of the depth forwards. I'll be watching one of those defensemen, specifically Scott Perunovic. You'll be watching the Cardinals. I'll be watching that game while I've got the Cardinals on the ESPN Game Center things. That way I can see what's going on over there in case there's anything meaningful that happens. And I'll be tuning in to the game Game right here on 101 ESPN. (laughs) For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow at 11 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. I'll I'll be the first to touch it. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.